Due to the graphic nature of the personal accounts and content discussed in this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Many episodes will include graphic personal accounts and discussions of child sexual assault, domestic violence, physical abuse, rape, sexual situations, and suicide. Latter-day Survivors. I'm Christina. I'll be hosting our discussion today. Uh, I also have Rhea, one of our co-hosts with us, and we have our guest with us today. Her name is Megan. Uh, Megan is an amazing human that I actually connected with in person. Um, She is a certified deliberate uh, cold exposure coach. Did I get that right, Megan? Yes. yes. Okay, good. Um, and I actually, if several months ago or a few months ago, looked into cold exposure ice baths myself. And that's how I met Megan. And we bonded and figured out we both grew up in the Mormon church and had since left and had some trauma around that. And we've kind of been deconstructing together. And so I was super happy that she was willing to tell her story today. So, um, I'm not going to give anything else away about Megan. I'll let her tell her story and tell us what she wants to know about her story and about her. And so uh, we usually like to just turn it over to you and you can tell your story however you want. So welcome, Megan. Hello. Hello, Christina. Um, Thanks so much for having me. This is like super fucking scary and all the things all at once. Um. I actually realized as I was kind of like mentally prepping for this, uh, that this in and of itself, like even the, and I've been out of the church for 25 years. Um, and even something like this to like, to feel like I'm talking badly about the church, um, is igniting like this fear in me because it is so ingrained to not talk about it, that it's like, that you never speak about anything like negative, you know, that that's bitching, that's complaining, that's, you know, of the devil or whatever you want to call it. And so I was realizing like that there was this internal struggle still 25 years later to even speak this openly and honest about what's happened to me, just to tell my own story, because also, you know, the way I grew up and I think a lot of females in the church grew up this way, like your story 
never mattered. Right. I use the word never. Um, a lot of times it, I felt like my stories were always argued with and um, kind of like put down and put to the side and all of this kind of stuff. And so um, I think it's really twofold for me. So I'm kind of, I'm excited to like break that uh, barrier a little bit about just being able to fully speak my truth um, and kind of be like, and if it damages this organization that has put this fear inside me, you know, like, yeah, then good. That's a good step because you should never not tell your story for any reason. I couldn't agree more. So I'm, you know, that, that was kind of my first, that was my first thing as I was kind of getting ready for this as I was like, Oh my gosh, like here I am. You know, it's almost like, Oh, you, don't ever talk about the temple. Don't ever talk about this. You don't talk about it with like other people, you don't, whatever it's, it is this just like internal, like, and it's in there, man, that fear is in there. And when you're raised in that, your brain is wired on it from the time you're born. Yes. That's why I'm such a good employee. (laughs) It's true, right? Like, you know what I mean? I would never go after the organization. Right. I mean, maybe I would now, but you know, like I'm, I notice those patterns, honestly. Um, but I'm still just obviously trauma cycling in my forties. Um, but I actually, I was thinking, um, about our relationship, Christina, and I was kind of like, gosh, is this kind of like the catalyst for kind of this new Mormon stuff that I have coming up? Um, because I have been out for a long time. I officially got my name mm-hmm. taken off the records when I was in my thirties, like early thirties and, uh, really felt like I had put a lot to bed, so to speak. And then mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, maybe it's this kind of, because I, I, I've had a few relationships here and there, but yours is my first real relationship where like, we really talk about all the church stuff and I can speak freely about it and without judgment and all this stuff. So I'm like, it's brought up a lot that I have ignored for a long time. And so I thought, yeah. Oh gosh, is she really just the catalyst for this new awakening? And, um, and then I realized that it's actually cause I got sober seven months ago. So, and, uh, and congratulations on that, by the way, you. that's, that's amazing. Thanks. Um, so yeah, huge drinker, like love it. Um, used to be in the alcohol industry and, um, yeah really just kind of got to this point where I was like, okay, like this, um, this is a problem. And, uh, not necessarily that I like had to get up and do a shot at 5am or anything, but like definitely, uh, could not spend an evening without two or three beers and really realized that it was a coping mechanism, that there was nothing fun about it. Uh, there was nothing like I, I couldn't mask it anymore. I can talk about like, oh, but it tastes so good and all this stuff, you know, all my knowledge about alcohol, all whatever. And so I decided to quit drinking. And uh, for anybody that has a fun coping mechanism where they numb their feelings, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you stop it. And all of a sudden there you are with your fucking feelings. And uh, yep. it is it, it became very apparent that that's why I had been doing it for so long as that's exactly what I was doing as avoiding, um, some very just like mm-hmm. internal truths, um, that I couldn't get past and just decided to numb it instead. 
And um, so a lot of that had to do with the church. And so what I really thought was after kind of having that, that that was a big reason why you and I ended up meeting and connecting. I think we were talking the other day, like I think both of our energies were just in that space where it was like, okay, that we're like ready for each other and what we can talk about, you know? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I feel, yeah, like it was just like, okay, finally, like I'm, I'm going to sit with this and sit with why it sucks and sit with, try to figure out why I have this feeling. And, um, I had, you know, I've been to therapy, I've done all kinds of stuff, uh, throughout my 25 years of exiting the church and felt like, you know, I had talked about it and talked about how pissed off I was and things like that. Um, but this being sober and doing this and doing it at 42 and, um, you know, a little bit more life experience under my belt, it's been like a totally different, um, look into myself and the church. I have so much more awareness. Like I used to just get pissed, you know, and just be like, Oh, like fuck this. Or, you know, I really went hardcore atheist mm -hmm. for a long time. But like now I'm just so aware of my own behavior and where it comes from. And so much of it is tied to the church that I, mm -hmm. I, I can't like, even when I felt like I got to this place of peace with the church, now I'm like reignited because now I like, no, now I know how much damage, like before it was kind of like, yeah, that probably like fucked me up or what are you, but now I've like dug into it and I've like learned about it. And, um, since I've gotten into kind of like energy work and ice baths and things like that, it's like, it's really opened up and it was like, all of a sudden, you know, the screen became extra clear and I was like, oh, like, I really need to tackle these things differently. Um, instead of just like talking yeah. about it, I need to like really kind of get in touch with, um, and grieve for every version of myself in the past 42 years that has yep. been affected by the teachings of the church and, um, the mixed messages and the, um, the internal chaos that it caused and still causes to this day, like the amount of back and forth that goes mm -hmm. on in my head on a day-to-day -day basis, I think is wild. And I 100%. Yeah. I, I often refer to it as whiplash. Yes. I talk about it. I say it's like ping pong balls going on inside my body. Like it's just literally. Yep. Cause my feelings are all over the place and my head's all over the place because I do not trust mm -hmm. myself. I mean, actually I'm getting there. I work on it every day, but I realized it was these big epiphany moments. Like I don't trust myself. I don't, uh, I know that I have kind of a pretty intense intuition, but like, is it, is it my intuition? Is it, you know, um, all of those things. So it's just, it's been hard as fuck, but so nice to, be in a place where I'm looking at it through a sober lens, because let's face it, uh, being drunk and being angry at the Mormon church is, I mean, it's fun sometimes, but <laughs> like overall, yeah. um, you know, not really going to have any good takeaways or I didn't. Um, now I just feel like yeah. I can really pinpoint what the damage was, how it affects me and my 
daily life and how to change that, how to change that perception of myself, because that's really what it is. It's just the, the perception of myself that being raised in the church gave me and the lessons that I learned, the things that I listened to, you and I had a conversation recently because I watched that video of the stake president, um, talking about, you know, like, do you have a choice to go on a mission? And I was so triggered by the fact that, um, how many talks do I not remember? Right. Like were imprinted on me that are just deeply in there. Exactly. They're so in there. And I was just feeling so, I just was like, how many parents were sitting there listening, being like, well, thanks buddy. Thanks for saying that. And how many parents also were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that. And now I can't say anything. And now I have to act like I support. And I was thinking about all the kids that were listening to this and, you know, the kid that maybe that day was getting up the courage to tell his parents that he didn't want to go on a mission and then was like, cool, guess I'm going, you know, things like that. And I, I realized, um, and I, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like how, how much of this programming is not even conscious, like, and then kind of the realization is, oh yeah, that's also like, they're geniuses. Like it is a genius organization. I say all the time, we really get down to it. It's fucking impressive in a really sick way. Um, Yep. Because they have it down. All of those feelings that I have on a regular basis, like all of that, that's so, there's a reason. I mean, we only, we operate in our subconscious brain until we're about, guess what age? Eight. Like, so crazy. We're so impressionable. That's why they tell you if you want to teach your kid multiple languages, do it when they're young. Like it's just, yep. it's, it's wiring. You're wiring. And I was wired really well, so to speak. Um, but ultimately I guess I'm grateful that there was just this little freaking fiery chick inside that was like, you know, just every once in a while I have a question. Like, I'm curious. And, uh, you know, I was a, a tr- labeled a troublemaker. I was labeled um, loud. Uh, I used to get told all the time that I should be an attorney because I have to argue about everything. Um, things like that. And I just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that when I look back on those, those, um, those, things that they did to me that I can still see that like fiery girl in there that was, you know, the, mm-hmm. like the real me that was like trying to, trying to eke her way out. Um, and so I, yeah, like I grew up in Utah. So I grew up in Logan, which is about as far North as you can get before you get to Idaho. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Cache Valley is beautiful. Uh, it still holds a very special place in my heart for sure. Um, I did not know one non-Mormon person the entire time I lived there. Um, and we lived in a neighborhood called the Island, um, which was kind of a little bit of a wealthier area. And, um, we, I remember of course, as a kid loving everything about church because it was social hour for me. Like it's just, that's why I loved school. I got to go and see all my friends and 
So, you know, we get to like walk to church and walk across the river. And those are all like memories that I have of going. I remember, you know, primary teachers that were wonderful, uh, things like that. I don't, um, probably the biggest thing that happened in that neighborhood, uh, growing up was, and then kind of finding out later, there was a lot of shit going on. They were really great at hiding it. Really great at hiding it. Um, they're very good at that. Yes. (laughs) I myself was molested as a little kid by a girl in my neighborhood that was just a year older than me. Um, so we were probably four and five when that started. Um, and honestly for years, I didn't think it was anything more than like girls just kind of being curious about each other. I did not, um, realize what it was until I was older you know, and then you're kind of like, wait a second, that was not at all, um, appropriate. And we weren't like, it was, um, it wasn't like we were, I I mean, it, it was very coordinated. Like when I look back on it and I know that my, I know that my mom knew because one time her brother caught us and I was, in her, we were in her closet and she was like, I don't, we had, um, she had like a play kitchen or whatever. And she was literally like putting implements inside my vagina. That's what we were up to. And her brother walked in on us and was like, telling your mom, like all this stuff, you know, but I don't remember what happened. I don't remember what happened with that. Um, I know that after that, her and I were not allowed to hang out with each other. She became labeled a bad influence on me. I remember my mom saying that a lot, like that we couldn't hang out because she was a bad influence. Nothing was, we didn't talk about what happened at all. Um, and then to be honest, there, then there was another girl and she was a year younger than me. And if I'm honest, I think I think in that scenario, it was my idea. Uh, well, yeah, and you know that that that's common, right? Yes. That's, that you're not alone in that. Yeah. But again, I feel like, you yeah. know, at that, at that time, it was just like playing around. I don't know. You know, I, I remember, um, I mean, I don't remember that being like fear filled. Does that make sense? Like with, you know, me and my friend on, on either side when it was being done to me or when me and my other friend were doing it, I, I don't, I don't feel like there was like fear, but I don't know. Um, so one day my friend and I were laying out on our grass in our backyard and we had, um, like a blanket over us and we were basically putting our fingers inside of each other. And my mom walked outside And so I just remember her, like, of course we were just like, oh my gosh. And like panicked and like pulled up our pants all under the blanket. And my, my mom, um, came out and, you know, very much knew kind of something was going on and, um, sent my friend home and then had me go wait for her in her room and, I just, I've never, I've never 
tell, I will never forget this moment. I've never told this story, but she came in and sat down next to me and she picked up my hand and she smelled my hand. I don't know how to, wow. she smelled my hand and put her, put my hand down and just shook her head and said, I am so disappointed in you. Uh. And that's all I remember. I know it was a longer chat. Um, and I don't remember anything like happening after that. Okay. So we, we kind of had to stop the recording and start again. And now that we're back, you were saying something about movies that are for, with friends. So if you want to pick up from there. Oh yeah. I was saying that then like later in elementary school years, we would, me and some friends, like we would, um, fast forward movies to like the sex scene and like hump our pillows. I remember doing that, but, um, I remember it just being very like hush hush at a very, very young age. Um, I got told that, you know, masturbation was like an absolute no, um, that it was evil basically to, although my mom was really great for some reason about, um, like around period time, she definitely suggested that I like get a mirror and like look and kind of know where everything is and things like that. So, but that was only in relation to like period care for yourself. Yeah. Don't, well, I mean, don't go I got... any farther North than that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. She definitely wasn't like, Oh, and take a look around and this is what this is. And this is what this is. That was not a part of it. Um, but I got told, you know, that masturbation was not okay and that it led to homosexuality. Oh, that was told to so many people in the church. Yeah. yeah. And so obviously you didn't like, and especially like I grew up in the eighties, you know, as a young kid, like being gay was so just wrong. I mean, it was just wrong. Um, and so that was like, that was a big threat, honestly. Uh, and truly I think I was, um, tw- 21 than like the first time that I ever actually masturbated, which is funny. But, um, so yeah, like grew up in this, in this, uh, very close knit community, super, super Mormon, um, and kind of had those experiences. Also, I found out way later on in life, uh, that the girl that molested me, um, her grandpa actually lived in our neighborhood and, uh, he lived kind of more towards the front. I just remember, I remember going to visit him, you know, we'd ride our bikes over there or whatever. Uh, but when he passed away in the nineties and they were going through his home, they found boxes and boxes and boxes of Polaroids of little kids. And, uh, that was it. That was right where it fucking stopped. Um, it, it's interesting. Those pictures are of. It's interesting you say that because when you were telling the story originally, that was actually, I wondered because you said you guys were only like four or five and this girl was inserting objects into you. Like you don't, that 
for normal four and five year olds, that that behavior has to be done to them. They that's not something you just know to do. And so I was curious if something had happened to her, which is mm-hmm. why she knew to do that to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I mean, and and like it when that came out about her grandpa, it made a lot of sense to me instantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have any memories other than just going over to her grandpa's house, uh, for myself, but you know, um, it was hard to hear, you know, cause I was like, I remember when my mom told me that they had found all these pictures and I thought, and I said, well, so that, did they call the police? Did they, whatever? And no, like nothing else, Oh, you know, nothing else was done. And I, um, and so I just, I always think about that. And think, gosh, I like, I wonder, you know, like, I wonder who was in those pictures. Yeah. Um, we had a very like family neighborhood. I mean, lots of young kids. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that was really hard to even find out. I, I, I actually had a lot of those moments about that neighborhood later on in life where I found out about things that were hidden and pushed to the side and not talked about. And, um, it's very, very frustrating, uh, to hear that later on in life. And, and again, it's all to keep up this wonderful illusion, right? Because we're, we're Mormons and everything's wonderful in our land and nobody, you know, nobody's like that over here, even though lots and lots of people were. Mm -hmm. So gotta um, keep up appearances. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, also I forgot to mention that this is probably the heaviest, one of the heavier burdens that I carry, uh, is my parent, oddly enough, my parents are converts and they converted to the church in their thirties. They were living in California and then moved to Utah where they had two kids, my brother and my sister. And then my dad had a vasectomy cause they were done. And then my mom had a dream about having a baby boy and so my dad went and had his vasectomy reversed. And then they had my brother seven years in between. And um, then they were done. That was it. There was going to be no more. And one night my dad had a vision that there was a woman standing in the corner of his bedroom with a little girl uh, who looked to be, you know, toddler age, like two or three. She was blonde and she was kind of pushing the girl forward, like kind of nudging her forward. And the girl was kind of really reluctant, kind of pushing back and kind of really like very much looking at, at my dad and kind of like trying to assess him really. And so the next day my dad told my mom about it and we need to have this other baby. And so they always knew it was going to be a girl um, because of this. And so you can imagine that that got brought up and still does multiple times <laughs> yeah. about my my purpose of being with my family and being a part of the the church, um, which was, which is always, I mean, now I just laugh about it, but it used to really bother me because it was such a, um, like a burden almost. Like then that meant that, that I couldn't be myself yeah, kind of thing because I had to be this person. I had to fall along with this vision because obviously there's a reason why I was coming to this family. I like to joke that I was really reluctant because I was like, um, fuck no. (laughs) I (laughs) I was like, you want me to go where? That's the true Megan speaking. (laughs) 
<laughs> the authentic Megan. Right, right. So, um, so that's always kind of like funny. And I mean, I was the youngest of four kids and my, because of that huge gap, my sister was a teenager when I was little, 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 we're 11 years apart. So she actually, um, she graduated from high school in 86. And then, um, a year later she was, well, not even a year later, maybe six months later, seven months later, she was pregnant out of wedlock. And uh, that was a kind of a big thing because obviously, like I remember being little, I was in the first grade and so excited, right? That my, that's all I remember. I was so excited that my sister was having a baby, but there was this definite like cloud over the whole thing and shotgun, like civil wedding in our basement. Um where the message was definitely that if you go this way and you want to have premarital sex and whatever, then this is the kind of uh, wedding that you deserve, right? Um, She borrowed a dress from a friend. Like, she could do a whole podcast on that scenario, I'm sure. Sure. But um, those are, like, really pivotal memories of mine, like, growing up um, of... Uh, what I felt played into my outlook of like moral cause and effect later on um, in my own life and, and being deserving and being worthy and all of these kind of things. Um, I also, um, my brother also got his girlfriend pregnant before they got married. Um, He had just graduated from high school. She was still in high school and they also got married right off the bat. So there was definitely just kind of like, these very interesting um, messages growing up and kind of the feeling of, um, you know, kind of being like, oh, that's like I, my, both my brother and I, this, what I call like the second half, we both kind of grew up with this, like, okay, well, I'm not going to make that mistake. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, My oldest brother was, became an addict at 15. um, And so we were dealing with that as well, but mostly dealing with hiding it, I feel like you know? Yeah. Um, uh, not aware of it at the time, but looking back and like, oh yes, we were still portraying. Gotta like, keep up the appearances. Uh, still portraying. And I think that that's also where it really became ingrained in me that you are two different people. Oh, like you are, Yep. you, you have the way you are at home yep. and then you have the way when you're out in public, because I watched it go down all the time mm-hmm. between you know, with what was expected of me, um, to be a, a, a polite kid and all these things. Um, and then, you know, seeing what my parents were like at home, seeing what they were like at church, seeing what like my dad was like at work. Um, and it was, it was, it was very, very different. Um, we moved to, my dad lost his job when I was in the fifth grade and we moved to Springville, which is just outside of Provo. Um, just obviously another very heavy Mormon area. Yeah. Um, it's actually really funny. Cause I remember that being my first big, cause I had a friend that her dad drove for Budweiser. Oh boy. And, uh, and I remember coming home one time from sleeping over at their house and her, you know, and here's the other funny part is growing up in Utah, you don't really have Mormons and non-Mormons. You have active and inactive interesting right okay. I just remember there being this category because you were never like almost like not Mormon it was just that's 
that's the inactive family in your neighborhood, by uh-huh. the way, that everybody like wants to like descend on and save. Uh-huh. And uh, so they were the inactive family. And uh, so he, one time he had like a six pack of beer in his fridge. And of course, who fucking knows why? Right. Like A, he could have been drinking it. B, it could have been like his dad's. Like, I mean, who knows why it was in there? But my, uh, I mean, I just, I was like, whoa this is crazy. And I went home and told my parents that there was like beer in the fridge and, <laughs> and then I wasn't allowed to sleep over there anymore. <laughs> uh, those like, bad, bad just... influences with their beer in the fridge. Yes. <laughs> and so then I think that that's also when I kind of learned like, Oh, okay. So don't be honest about everything. Right. Like, because then your fun shit gets taken away. Yep. And, uh, you know, we were always kind of like what I feel like with the Mormons on the living on the edge a little bit, like we could play on Sundays and every once in a while, my dad would like want to watch a, you know, a football game and we would get to skip church, like yeah. stuff like that. I didn't feel like we were, you know, I had a good friend that, whoa, like hardcore rules, couldn't do anything on Sunday, never could hang out on Monday nights, never could do all these things. And so I felt like my parents were kind of like the cool you know, give us little breaks here and there kind of parents. And, uh, I think I lost my train of thought on where I was going with that, but, um, oh yeah, with the inactive family. So yeah, I just kind of, so then you kind of are like, all right, well, obviously my parents aren't cool with everything. So I'm going to start to hide these things over here and not be honest about this over here. And then of course you have the one friend that her parents are cool and they'll rent rated R movies for Ooh, you. Not that. Oh yeah. That, oh yeah. You might as well be talking about straight up porn here. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, so yeah. So then it was like, Oh, we only go to Becky. We go to Becky's house a lot for sleepovers. I remember my mom even commenting on it one time. We like, you sleep over her house a lot. Well, yeah. Cause we could, her mom would rent rated R movies for us and we had no, um, like we could sleep out on the trampoline and have whoever we wanted around, like boys could come over, like her parents didn't care. So that's where we went all the time. And, um, you know, so I just, I remember that being my first kind of like disconnect from, you know, everything. Also at this time in my life, I don't know. I I think now, um, it was obviously a huge trauma response. Um, but it was such a like traumatic event with moving and everything. And my, my mom at this time was big time, like disconnecting from Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. She had started having anxiety attacks and panic attacks on the regular. And, um, I kind of look back at that time and go, yeah, that's like when she gave up, like when she was just kind of like, all right, you know, or I almost feel like, it's kind of at the point where I'm at in my life, but I just, am like, no, like I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep like fighting Mm -hmm. and fighting for this person inside. And I feel like, you know, just with all the church stuff, cause they were going to like a, a counselor in the church for like marriage counseling Uh. to which now I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wonder what they would say to her in there. Yeah. I have no idea, but I can sure as fuck guess. Um, and so my mom is like super disconnected and, um, my brother who had been in charge of taking care of me our whole young lives 
now that I was kind of old enough, he was like, okay, peace out. Like, I just want to go hang out with my friends. And so I was alone a lot. Mm -hmm. And I started having recurring um, urinary tract infections and yeast infections in like the fifth and sixth grade. Wow. And so uh, we had been to the doctor so many times about it that they finally wanted to do a pap smear. And it was like so crazy, right? Because UTIs come from having sex. Sometimes. So sometimes, yeah. Yeah. but most like yeah. in their heads at that time, oh, that is I see what, what you're saying. Right. So me also saying like that nothing was going on and like, because there, there wasn't to my knowledge or that I remember. And so, um, I also, you know, definitely started freaking and feeling like I wasn't believed because then ultimately I had to have this pap smear Mm -hmm. at 12 and the, they grilled me, like grilled me about my sex life. And I was just mortified. Like all I'd ever done was kiss a boy on the lips. And so I was just like, um, you know, I, I really, really, really struggled, um, with that whole scenario. And even they made my parents leave and then the doctor's like, okay, now you need to be honest with me. Like, tell me what happened, all of this yeah. stuff. And so like, I mean, nothing, we, we ended up taking it so far that I ended up getting um, x-rays done in my kidneys. And I mean, like literally everything physically was absolutely fine with me and mm-hmm. I was not having sex. So I just, I think that my I think my insides were freaking out and that's just how my body was responding. I mean, I know that now, right? but it was, that was a really, um, uh, just basically all of these, um, kind of like messages about my body and sex. And of course, because I'm 12 at this point, um, you know, that's when you go into young women's and then that's when all of that messaging starts. So, um, all of a sudden I had this huge responsibility over my body and my mom was big on now all of a sudden here was this, um, like educational time for you as a daughter to learn how to sit with your legs closed and be really aware of what's going on with your body. And all of a sudden, you know, um, I had a brother-in-law that, I mean, my sister got married when I was in the first grade, like I had grown up with this man And we were kids, we were little kids with him and to wrestle and all this stuff. And then I started getting lectured about that I needed to be taking myself out of those situations. Um, I needed to be, I needed to be appropriate. Right. Like me, because responsibility was on me. Yep. You close, you having to close your legs, you having to take yourself out of that situation, you having to, you know, be mindful of all these things, you having to be appropriate because that's what the church teaches us, Right. The responsibility for men's and boys' thoughts belongs to the girls. Oh, absolutely. And that message was like loud and clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, there that's actually one thing that I can look back on and be like, oh, that wasn't something I had to figure out later. Like it was very, plus the other things that were very apparent at the same time is like all of a sudden, you know, I lo- like, by the way, I mean, I guess everyone has to say, but I love my parents. I, I, I have a lot of like forgiveness for them and just, I know what their lives were like. And so I'm like, you know, they, they changed what they could at the time with what they had. Um, but you know, my dad, um, 
at, at that time I stopped being like a daughter as well. Mm. And my dad pulled way back as far mm-hmm. as like, my dad's not a big physical toucher anyway. Um, he's not really super affectionate, but all of our little things that we did definitely went away and he wow. started to pull back from me. And so I could feel that as well. Also at the same time, our boys becoming very, very important. Right. Um, and one thing that I always found so interesting and like contradictory is that, you know, it's, Oh, make sure you're hanging out in groups and make sure this and make sure that, but it's constantly, do you have a boyfriend? Who do you like? Who are you interested in? Oh, where do you think, what temple do you want to get married in? I remember getting that, getting asked that in like elementary school. Yep. Right. But you're not supposed to be thinking about it, but yet you're supposed to be fucking planning for it. Yeah. I say this all the time. Every fiber of your being. They, They groom girls from 12 years old on. It's all about marriage, eternal marriage. What do you, what do you need to do to prepare to get married from the time you're 12 at the same time that they're telling these girls, do not touch boys. Don't think about sex. Don't explore your own body. Don't even know anything about your own sexuality, which is a normal part of human existence. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about marriage all the time. It's very sinister when you think about it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and then especially like I, um, I'm a very tall female. I'm five ten, And so by the seventh grade, I was five, seven. And, um, like ever the boys just call me the giraffe and I boys didn't like me. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of guy friends for sure, but I was not like a sought after female and no one should fucking care about that at the age of 12, but I cared. Um, I thought something was very wrong with, I mean, I thought I was ugly. I was too tall. I was too, all these things. I was a board. I didn't have boobs. I didn't have, you know, all of these things. I, um, uh, my, all my like friend circle, they were very sought after females. They always had boyfriends. They all, you know, and they all interchanged and all these kind of things over the years, but like I never did. And so that also started the, Um, for me, that just made it a, like, what is wrong with me and how many things do I have to change and how many times? Yep. I was in the same boat. I got it. I get it. Yeah. So, I mean, then it, I mean, it was just like, okay. I, I remember starting also in early teenage years, um, becoming very focused on, uh, clothing and not in the, like, I wanted to like push the boundary type clothing. Mm -hmm. I didn't, uh, you know, the, I remember my, our, my mom and I getting into a fight about the first time I asked for a two piece swimsuit, Mm. like that. I just asked for one that Mm -hmm. was in the seventh grade. Um, and because yeah, like I remember things being trendy and just being like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why I can't wear this. I remember Mm -hmm. having those kinds of questions. And so I was like extra drawn to it. I feel like I yeah. still love to show, like, I still wear shirts that show my stomach and people are probably like, you're 42. I don't like, I don't care because I fucking can. Good for you. And what most people don't realize is what that means to me to do that. Because to, to feel that kind of like, to, to be proud of, of my body in that way mm-hmm. and to, and, and to reverse, um, the narrative of, well, there's no way that I would be proud of my body if I were showing it. Right. Yep. Like if I'm showing it, 
uh, what, who am I trying to attract? Yep. Like, what is the message I'm sending? Well, maybe it's I'm fucking hot and I want to wear a fucking tank top. Maybe that's the message I'm trying to send. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like, maybe it doesn't matter, but then it started to matter. Like, then it was like this conscious choice. Then it was like, what could I get away with? How could I push this limit? And it also, as you start in teenage life, especially for me in Utah, you watch the double lives begin in your own friends. Yep. So these are all, you know, my, the stake president's son and the bishop's daughter and the this and the that and whatever. And they're all having makeout parties in their basements and um, then going to church on Sunday when we're having a lesson about morality. And I remember um, always really taking note of that and being like, um, okay, so are we supposed to follow these rules or are we like not supposed to follow these rules? And um, it, it, it was like such a mixed, like, and I just, I remember being very hyper aware of how contradictory it was and how much like people were lying and hiding. And then, but I was doing the same, right? Because you could never be totally honest the times that you tried to be honest or try to tell your parent that, you wanted to watch a rated R movie. Well, fuck, I don't want that hour long conversation. And the, and the shame that watch... goes along with it. <laughs> I just want to watch Braveheart. Okay. Right. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to watch it. I don't have a, a big moral reason. I just want to see it. Right. Like, um, sorry, obviously there's a personal story there. Uh, so yeah, like, and, and everyone was living this double life. Yep. Like everybody was to a certain extent. And this is also an area where I'm like, I love how when you do, you just like, you get really fucking good at finding the Mormon loophole. Oh yeah. Where's the loophole? Where's the little bit that I can just fucking take my foot and I'm going to put it on this other side of the fence because no one really said it specifically that mm -hmm. I can't put my penis in here inside her vagina and not move. Oh, the like, soaking. No one, the, the soaking. soaking. Yes. Like, no one specifically <laughs> told me that. So guess what? I'm going to do it because it's going to be okay. Right. Like there's so much stuff like that. And, yeah. um, you know, I, like it, this will just be my super sidebar. I just have to go off on this for one minute. Yeah. When we talk about the word of wisdom. Uh-huh. Okay. And we talk about things that are good for your body and things that are bad for your body. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that you know, nobody in my family will share a cup of coffee with me, but they will, however, have four energy drinks in one day, you know, that's and... different caffeine. <sighs> that, that caffeine is not the same as the coffee caffeine. I but like, it blows my mind, but it's because that's the loophole. Like it's yep. just, and it's, it's all the same things of, well, I, I don't, you know, like, so are we going to say heck? Or are we going to say hell? Because I know what you fucking want to say. And I say hell in my head. I know yep. you're saying hell in your head. Just come out with the word. Just say it. Yep. You know? And I mean, it's so, it's so hysterical because, you know, why do you put sparkling cider in your champagne glass on New Year's Eve? Like, right. why are you trying to mimic an alcoholic beverage? Right. Exactly. It makes no sense. Like, just things like that. Sorry, that was a way. No, you know, but it's kind of along those, like the double life, like I don't get it. And speaking of your, you know, your little sidebar there and the loopholes and the double lives and the not being totally honest. <clears throat> I don't know if you're familiar with Radio Free Mormon, but he is, 
he's a, he, he has his own podcast. He's a, an attorney. I think he's based out of the Seattle area, but a lot of good content from that guy. But one of the things that I heard him say when I first started deconstructing and it just kind of stuck with me, he said, Mormonism makes liars out of us all. And it's exactly what you were just saying. It's everything. It's about keeping up appearances. We have to not be who we truly are in order to keep up an appearance. He talks about how many people lied in the bishop's interviews when they asked if they masturbated, because if I, if I tell the truth, I'm going to have a scarlet letter on me and I can't take the sacrament and everybody's going to know. So I'm just going to lie about it. It's just so convoluted, this double life thing that you're talking about. And yet, like you said, it is rampant. It goes on everywhere. It's just, every, it's everywhere. And the the thing that I, you know, it's funny because, you know, now that I'm like, uh, now that I'm older and let's say like even my siblings that are now older and they've raised kids and we've had tons of conversations about what life was really like in high school and the double lives and the, all the things and the whatever's and the, you know, but yet they still raise their kids in the same kind of way, you know, like it's, yep. And I'm going, cause it's the plan of happiness. Don't you remember? Like, <laughs> you know, like we used to skip seminary every day cause we hated it so bad. Like, and you're making <laughs> your kid go like, I don't get it. Yeah. So, um, but you know, to each, to each their own, but, uh, yeah, we, we, um, so that's, I just remember that those kind of like early teenage years, like junior high, kind of starting to be like, okay, so there's definitely even more to this double life that I need to lead. And, um, if I, you know, want to be a part of like what all my friends are doing, which is like making out and all of these things. Well, I definitely have to lie about that at home and I want to be a part of everything over here. Um, and so, yeah, like I, that time in my life, I just remember, I remember really kind of starting to receive those messages loud and clear. And, um, and then when I was 14, we moved to Hawaii and I was, yep. And I was devastated. I was devastated. I was going into the ninth grade. So freshman year in high school and, um, in Utah, I don't, I don't know how it is really anywhere else. It doesn't seem like this in Arizona, but in Utah, like school dances, that is like life. That is it. That is like, you <laughs> fucking have like nine dances a year. There's girls choice. There's guys choice. There's all these creative ways to get asked. There's, you know, whatever else. I mean, like you just, you literally witness it your entire life go on. You just wait and wait and wait for it. And then we moved. The year that it, the, all of that was going to be started, I was devastated. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but we moved to Hawaii. We moved to Kauai where, um, of course, there's um, a Mormon population, but it's not at all what it's like in uh, Utah. So here I started to, like... <laughs> There, I mean, all my friends were non-Mormons, right? Like yeah. all of a sudden it went from everybody to nobody. Right. I still remember, I wrote this down to re remind myself to say, cause it's so, I just die. I die over the story. <laughs> my first friend that I had in 
Hawaii, I totally tried to convert her. Uh, totally did. You were a good right, little Mormon. Right off the bat. I remember she slept over my house and literally like having the Book of Mormon open and being like, look at this. Like, read this right here. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, like so trained, right? Because I needed to save her like right off the bat. And yeah. truth be told, I had no fucking clue what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. I had no clue what I was talking about. But you were so, taught to regurgitate that and bring souls unto Christ. I mean, that was oh, yeah. that was part of our mission in life. We have to get everybody to get the message. Oh, yeah. Well, and the, the crazy part about Hawaii was I actually would get asked questions about the church because not everybody knew. But, you know, like in Utah, nobody asks you a question about right, what you they believe. all know. Because they all know. But all of a sudden, I started getting asked questions about the church, and I was like, "That's a really good question." Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that, you know. But you're just kind of like you, you still just go along with it. Now you feel like you have a greater purpose in life. Um, but I remember that that along, um, you know, I have an aunt. Like everybody has an aunt like the aunt Mm -hmm. that is like your everything. And I had one of those growing up and she left the church. Um, and she's wonderful, obviously like wonderful. She she was that person. She took like every member of my family. in. I remember very early on being like, why would she go to hell? Like just doesn't make any sense. And so that started to tie in with these amazing people that I started to meet in Hawaii and like these kids and like their parents and their families and their families were really close. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense because they don't have this like church to tell them to be like really tight with their family or, or whatever else. I remember that just being kind of like the beginning of just kind of really seeing more Mm -hmm. and being exposed to more, honestly. And, um, so, uh, fresh, (laughs) like, so freshman year, whatever, but the summer before my sophomore year, I had like a little summer fling with this boy and we made out all summer long. And my friend had a single mom who she was just didn't give a shit what we did. So we were always over at her house. And, um, so one night it was like the night he was moving. And the night before he left, we like made out both had our shirts off. Oh boy. He, like, we didn't even like, he was, I think he was so fucking scared. He did not even touch me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was just more like making out with our shirts. off, And, um, I loved it. It was like, so such a fun experience. Imagine that you loved Weird. it. Oh my gosh. Right? So I loved that experience. And, uh, of course, like, uh, the good Mormon kid that I was, I kept a journal and, uh, wrote all about it in my journal and that, wrote I'm, about how I'm going to guess that that was mistake. Number one, oh, if, I'm, yeah. if I can predict, <laughs> I'm going to guess that this doesn't go down well. <laughs> so I write it all in my journal. I don't know how much time passes, maybe like three, four weeks, um, and I'm sleeping over at my friend's house and her dad comes in the room at 
oh my God, it was like 5.30 in the morning. And he's pissed because it's 5.30. And he's like, Megan, you're, because this is still house phone era. And so he's like, Megan, your mom just called and she's on her way here to pick you up. At 5.30 in the morning. And I'm like, what the fuck? So she comes and gets me and uh, we drive home in total silence. Like she won't even speak to me. And I mean, I have no, I'm racking my brain, right? I'm like, what what does she know? Like what's going on? And, um, so we get to the house and she's like, let's go in your room. And so I walk in my room and my journal is sitting on my bed, which is not where I keep it by the way. Um, and so my journal is just sitting on my bed and she asked me to sit down. And, um, anyway, she told me that the spirit had guided her and led her to my journal that she felt like I was disappearing um, and something was wrong and something was off. And so she read my journal and, uh, everything in there, except this makeout session was totally tame and whatever. Um, but she was devastated. I mean, I remember her saying I'm devastated, like, and the part that bothered her the most and really the message that she mostly wanted to get across was that I was not sorry for what I had done. That like yeah. everything that I had wrote was how great it was and like how much fun I had. And so it wasn't at all remorseful. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I did this. I fucked up. I, whatever else, you know, like I feel so bad. Um, and she was really shocked that that is what I had wrote down. And so I remember that the really the first big time in my life being like, why don't I feel bad? Yeah. Like that made me, that's exactly what I was thinking when you were saying that was like, so here we go again, distrusting our bodies because our bodies tell us what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And mm -hmm. that felt good to you. And now you can't, this is just one more message. Like you can't trust your own body. You can't trust the feelings that you have because no matter how good that felt, we're here to tell you that was bad and evil and sinful yes. and you're dirty and you're unworthy and you should be filled with shame. And I'm devastated and all these things. It's well, and there was so no, confusing. There was no questions. There was no, um, did you feel safe? Like, right. was this consensual? Like, let's talk about it and see, because also it, that I think that that's why it was so enjoyable was that I did feel very safe. Like he was like, we were both like, you know, deer in headlights, like, Oh my gosh, like we have this moment. We don't know what the fuck to do with it. Like we're so young. And, um, it was really innocent and just kind of sweet and, um, uh, not like absolutely zero inappropriate happened. He didn't, try to push me where I didn't want to go. He didn't like anything like that. So there was also like no conversation mm -hmm. about the event. Um, it was just, you did this, it was wrong. And what is worse is that you don't feel bad about it. Yep. So, so, so you're, you're told how to feel about things too. Like, Oh yeah. These are the feelings so, you should have had. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, so part of what I needed to do, I mean, instantly she told me that I needed to go see the Bishop and, uh, that, that 
you know, that basically, and it, it, and it was tied to like my social life, like that I couldn't go anywhere until I went and saw the bishop and I needed to go through the steps and I needed to repent and all these kind of things. And so I did, I went to my bishop and I, um, I'm so grateful to this man still to this day. I've heard so many bishop stories that are just God awful, like the worst things I have ever heard in my whole life. And yeah. mine was just not like that. Oh, lucky. And he, um, he said, cause I started to talk and I, I started crying like right off the bat. And he said, is this kind of like about sex stuff? And I said, yes. And he said, do you feel bad? And I said, Yes. And he said, are you ever going to do it again? And I said, no. And he said, okay, we're good. Like good for him. I don't think he wanted to fucking talk about it. Yeah. You know, he was just like, we're good. Don't do it anymore. So that, that was literally, um, what happened there. But then I, um, you know, my mom was now just like watching me and, uh, because I was a sophomore in high school and this was the nineties and like Alanis said, and I was trying to wear, you know, uh, like midriff tops and this and that. And so in my mom's eyes, I am just deep ending. Like, I'm just like deep dive. Just You're sleeping like, oh. with everybody. <laughs> totally. Um, <laughs> I had a skirt that she said was so short and like, you know, the, who are you trying to impress comments and the everything, like we were just we started just button heads big time. And, uh, but so then I would do things to like get her off my back. Like one day I very, um, openly and told her about it and everything took the pages that I had wrote about this scenario in my journal and took them out and burned them in my driveway. And, you know, told my mom that I never wanted to be that person. And I mean, I really like, like, I vilified myself, myself, if that's yep. even the right thing. Like I, I really made myself into the bad person because mm-hmm. the, the, the more I would say about how bad I felt about what an awful person I was, it seemed to make my mother happier and mm-hmm. get her off of my back a little bit more. Right. Um, so, uh, the weird part about my story is like, right at this time in my life, I got cancer. Um, the month before my 16th birthday, I was diagnosed with leukemia and, uh, like life screeching halt, like come to a stop. Um, because we were on Kauai, uh, medical care there is not recommended. I hope it's gotten a lot better since then. But, um, so I had to fly to Honolulu that day that they told me, uh, to begin treatment. And so, um, and at this time, my, brother that's just older than me. He had graduated from high school the year before and was back living in Utah, getting ready to go on a mission. Uh, I can't remember. I think he already had his mission call at this point or it was close, whatever. Um, so I'm like alone with my parents and, uh, so cancer treatment begins. So I'm sure you can imagine how much religion is, is mixed up and what's going on. And, Um, I remember regurgitating so much. I remember praying. I remember my mom, um, while I was in the hospital, she read me the entire work in the glory series, like out loud. And I remember, um, that was my first real time, like learning about 
learning, by the way, this is big quotation fingers about, <laughs> um, uh, this will tie in later, but like about Mormon history, right? And, and history, history, quoting fingers, yeah. <laughs> you know, about just how fucking persecuted we were, like that yeah. whole narrative. And um, I remember on days that they would like give us breaks and stuff. My mom would drive me up to the Hawaii temple and we would walk around and uh, stuff like that. Um, the difficult, I mean, there were a lot of difficult things obviously that happen when you have cancer. Um, but one of the hard things was my brother was leaving to go yeah. on a mission. And I mean, that was that was just devastating. And when he, um, when he went, he went to Brazil. Um, when he left his mission farewell was right in the middle of me being very, very sick. Um, and he was living in Utah at the time. And instead of coming home to have his mission farewell in Hawaii, um, cause not that many people would have gone, obviously. Um, he had it in Utah Wow. And, um, my mom ended up staying with me at home, but my dad went, my whole family was there and together. Um, and this was just, this was, um, my sacrifice, you know, yeah. uh, my, my mom really latched on to the fact that this was that my, by my brother doing this, that this was really going to bring me more blessings in the long run, you know, just kind of all of those things. And just, um, as a 16 year old kid with cancer and bald head, and you're getting like hammered with chemotherapy, um, five days a week and, um, all these kind of like, I just wanted my brother. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry, this one's going to get me. And if you need to take a minute, that's okay too. To also just have, to have that hung over, and I don't even want to say it was hung over my head because it wasn't like he's doing this for you, but it was, you can't be sad about it or you can't, you couldn't have like a hard time with it. I couldn't, um, I couldn't have asked him by any means to have stayed home or, um, cause that would have been selfish. Like look at all the amazing blessings he was going to bring in. Um, and still, still to this day, if you kind of talk about it in front of my mom, she will credit. She she loves to credit his uh, his mission for part of my survival for sure. And um, so that I, I feel like, um, and I remember that being a time of um, big time disconnect from the church for me as well because that was another mixed message. Um, families, right. Are supposed to be everything. Families are everything. They hang it over your head fucking constantly. Like families yep. are forever. Don't you want to be with your family forever? Don't you want to And yet why, I mean, like, why would it be the recommendation to have this 19 year old kid go to Brazil instead of be with his sister. Like, what is the mission here? Like, let's, let's talk about what was more important. Um, and I don't blame him at all. Like 
he's just as wrapped up into it. Like I'm sure. And we've had conversations where he's like, Oh my gosh, I thought about it a million times. Like, what if I just don't go? Like, what if I say, what if I just like get a job? Like, but those thoughts are quickly pushed out because like, and he would never say this, but I mean, like we all know, I know what it was like for kids that said that they didn't want to go. Yep. You're ostracized. For kids that didn't go. Absolutely. You've got a target on you. Something is wrong with you. Well, so, so not only is there something wrong with you, but if you say you don't want to go, especially back then, I, I think things may be a little bit different now, but back then, who, how am I ever going to find a spouse if I'm not an honorable return missionary? Because girls are taught you only date return missionaries. Those are the only people that are marriage worthy. But the other thing I'm thinking about while you're telling this story is, you know, you had so much pressure placed on you to, to be positive, to not murmur, to use a Mormon word, to, to not complain, to, but I also wonder what was going on in his head when he's in this foreign country and things are hard and he's maybe wanting to come home or not having a bad day. And this constant, like, I can't complain because my sister's sick. I can't complain because I have to be strong for my sister. Like, Totally. It's not not fair to him either. Right. It's, and this thing that you said about with families, I never understood that. I knew somebody that was serving a foreign mission and I was talking to their mom once and they said that their child, when they were on the mission was, they were teaching somebody and this person asked them like, Oh, do you talk to your family often? Mm-hmm. No, we're only allowed to talk to our families on Mother's Day and Christmas. Forget Father's Day, because I guess they don't matter. Um, yeah. And this this investigator was keen enough to look at them and say, but your church teaches that it's all about family. Why would you not be allowed to contact your family? Why do you have to cut yourself off from them when you're on a mission? The messages are so convoluted. I'm... I, I totally agree. My, one of my, um, I don't want to say it's my favorite, favorite and quotey fingers. Um, one of my favorite Mormon ads is this, um, picture of, it's like a grandma and grandpa and they're sitting in, um, some rocking chairs and their extended family is all around them, you know, like their adult kids and then their grandkids and all this stuff. And it says, if you love them, leave them Uh. about serving a senior mission that was really impactful for me because my parents ended up serving like five senior missions when my kids were little. And so I was like, I, I mean, it, I remember standing there just staring at it because I was like at a baby blessing or something as an adult. So I'm out of the church and I was just standing there staring at it and just being like, this is so messed up. And like, who looks at this and finds it to be inspiring? It's abusive. Like, yes. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. Uh, and, and the pain that it causes is just, you know, but it doesn't matter because it's not looked at as pain. It's looked at as sacrifice and that's your sacrifices as you know, the kid of the parents that goes on the mission or whatever, or the sibling or whatever you want to call that's your sacrifice. That's your cross to bear. That's your thing. And, um, you know, I just, I guess maybe I would feel much better about it if I felt like missions were truly, um, uh, chosen. Right. It, and I just, I don't know how many long, of them are. 
No, I I think I would venture a guess to say many of them are not uh, many, if maybe not most. Um, we've talked in the last few, I don't know, two or three interviews that we've done about this idea of sacrifice and what you're taught from the time you're in primary. Give, said the little stream. You give everything back to the church. You give it all away. And um, uh, Kendra, who's not here today, and myself and another Esteban, who we inter- they interviewed last year, we actually, a couple of weeks ago, sat down together and rewrote the lyrics to Give Said the Little Stream just to kind of reclaim it and reown it. But that's the message, right? If you love them, leave them. Yeah. Like, it's so convoluted. It doesn't even make sense. Well, and it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And so, yeah, my brother, he was on his mission the whole time I was going through chemo basically. Um, and then, uh, so after, I mean, and during chemo, like definitely, um, there were, uh, spiritual experiences for sure. Um, and I look back on those now and with how I feel about it now and my guides and my ladies that help me out every day. Um, I know that that, that's who that was, you know, um, that not every, every experience, like experience is tied to the Mormon church, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the Holy Ghost every time. No, 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 it wasn't, you know, and, um, I, I'm grateful. This is a time and Christina, you and I have talked about this a little bit where, yes, although there is this, um, overall, oh my gosh, like I'm really upset with this church for overall what it did to my life. There are times that I can look back on and be like, wow, that was a really great time or that was a good experience. And yeah. definitely while I had cancer, I, I can say that, you know, um, that is, I, we were heavily supported by yeah. the church during that time, um, by the people in our ward, mm-hmm. uh, which was amazing to see. And so, uh, I will say uh, until the dawn of time, I don't, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but, but they're, they can be extremely helpful and wonderful at showing up at certain times. Yeah. So, and that was a time that I can look back and be like, okay, that was, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for those people and, and, and our involvement in that at that time, I guess. Sure. Uh, but I was asked every time I would show up at church, <clears throat> because I would be like well enough to go, I would get asked to bear my testimony. No and pressure. And so, no pressure. That's something that my mom liked to bring up a lot after I left the church. You know, oh, you used to bear your testimony when you had cancer. It was so wonderful. And it's like, we all know the script. I know exactly what to say. I could bear my I can still do right it. now and it would be, yep, oh my God, same. it would be fantastic. It would be yep. fantastic. You don't ever fucking get up there and say what's really on your mind. No. Because you're, you're not allowed gonna to. You're never going to get up there. <laughs> You're not allowed to. I, no, no. And so, yes, I was awesome at it. And um, uh, I learned how to, you know, be a public speaker at church yep. and get up in front of a crowd and say whatever you want. And, and actually, and, if we're bringing up good things about the church, I will say that I will. I'll go with you on that. The church taught me not to be afraid to get up and speak in front of people. I, I credit. I'll credit them with that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> memorizing Re- talks Re- and scriptures 
Rhea's nodding too. So she's in agreement yep. with this. Yes. Yep. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely that, but I, you know, once I, um, uh, when I was coming up on my last chemo treatment, um, and when I went through chemotherapy, there were like these cycles of chemo and I had to go through three or four. Um, and so you would get like a certain type of chemotherapy this one week and the next week you would get another kind and then uh, like at the end of that week, you would get a third kind and that would be your cycle. And then that, it would kind of start back over. Mm. And so, uh, anytime you get an infection or you get sick or anything like that, they, they stop your chemotherapy. So it kind of like prolongs it. Like when mm-hmm. you start out, I was supposed to only get chemo for six months and it ended up being nine because of like illnesses and stuff in between. Yeah. And so, this at the end of this particular cycle I got really really sick my white blood count dropped down to zero Mm. which means you have like you have nothing you have nothing going on so I developed a huge infection in my leg it it was a pseudomonas which is like this regular bacteria that just lives on your skin and it's not a big deal if you get a cut but when you have no immune system it just like it blew up um it ate away uh, part of my leg on the inside of my right thigh. Mm. And, um, when I went into the hospital, finally, um, I mean, I, they might, I had two doctors and they were arguing about whether or not to put me in intensive care. Like they thought I was, I was going to die. Um, and I was in the hospital hardcore for two weeks on IV antibiotics. Like, I mean, just literally such a nightmare. And, so I was coming up on having this chemo treatment for the last time. And it was my last chemo treatment. Like the whole thing was done. And for some reason, I just, um, I just knew that if I had it, like it was going to kill me. Wow. And I went to my parents and I said, I told them that. And I said, I think I'm going to, I think this treatment's going to kill me and I don't want to do it. And I think I'm good. And my mom asked me, you know, if I had prayed about it. And so mm-hmm. I said, yes, which was a lie because mm-hmm. I hadn't prayed about mm-hmm. it. I just knew. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was all the answer that she needed. And we went to the doctors and, um, denied my last chemo treatment. Um, which is interesting because they, uh, I got pulled into like this conference room and we had to have this big meeting where they like told me about, you know, how it was going to decrease my chances of living and increase my chance of relapse and really like try to scare me. Um, and I just, I just stuck with it for some reason. And so I ended up not getting it and they would not celebrate me at the <laughs> the hospital because you're supposed to get a big party on your last chemo day and they wouldn't do it for me. Wow. And, um, and so, except I had this really amazing nurse, this why nurses are so great, Christina, is that um, she was so great. Her name was Jean, and I used to call her Billy Jean. And she <laughs> took a sh- hospital sheet, and she, like, drew a permanent marker on it. It said, like, my last chemo treatment. And she, like, draped it over my chemo bag that Aww. I was getting. And she was like, well, I think it's your last one, so I'll still celebrate it. I but, yeah, her. so, yeah, I know, she was so great. So, obviously, I lived, so it worked. Um and, but yeah, that was, and before you go on, if I could just interject here, cause I think this is really important po- point to bring up. Like <laughs> you talked about trying to 
remember that there was that fiery girl inside of you. How insightful at 16 years of age that you listened to your own inner knowing that said, don't do this. It's going to kill you. And you stuck to your guns. I just think it's amazing. I I think that's, it probably took immense amounts of courage because I'm sure the thinking, at least for me, if I was in that position, I'd be thinking, oh, but they've invested all of this in me. And if I quit now, is that whole thing going to be a waste? Because my whole thing is I never want to be a burden and, Mm -hmm. and all of that. But just that you were so convicted and you stuck with it. And I, I think that's phenomenal. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think even as I was just telling that story, I was like, you know, out of all the like inner child work and stuff that I've done and um, you know, the pictures that I've saved here and there and whatnot, I have a picture of myself um, with my little bald head. And as I was telling that story, I was like, gosh, I should call on that girl a little more often. Because like, she's she's you, badass. You do I, kind of forget about this the the moments of strength that you do have. You do. I think Rhea wants to say something. Here. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. That just hit me really strongly with you saying that you know you went to your mom and said I I feel like if I go through this I'm not going to make it and her response being, well, did you pray about it? And you knowing that she wants to hear that, yes, you did. And you didn't. So that kind of goes back to Mormonism makes a liar out of everybody. Yep. Because you knew that if it was just you, you know, having those feelings, that it would be disregarded, you know. And again, like what Christina said, how amazing for you to actually be looking at death in the face, basically, mm-hmm. and knowing this could go one way or the other, but feeling strongly not to pursue that. Like, yeah, that's great strength and courage, you know? So I think your dad's dream or vision about that little reluctant girl was right on. Just going to say that. <laughs> like, you didn't want to go, but here you come. And so, you know, anyway, I just, yeah, that, that is amazing. So, but it's sad that we have to lie, lie about certain things. It truly, you can't just come. Well, a lot of us couldn't just come and, and be authentic with our parents about very concerning things, you know, without the church being involved somehow. And yeah, so, but very brave and courageous. Oh, thank you. proud of you. Thank you. Well, plus, I think I think that part of that too is that in the Mormon Church you learn that if you say this, like just like my mom saying, "Well, the Spirit told me to read your journal," mm-hmm. that's the one thing for some reason that no one can argue with. Right. Like, once you drop that mic, you know, if it's just like, "Hey, I was thinking maybe I don't want to get my last chemo treatment. Maybe like I'm looking at it, all the science over the <laughs> past six months, and I'm th- seeing that." But no, if I say that like I'm being told that it's a spiritual thing, which it was, I, I really, you know, I, I'm a super spiritual person now, but like I, I, um, it was just this like knowing it was this feeling. I was like, I'm going to fucking die. And I never thought the entire time I was going through chemotherapy that I was going to die. Wow. wow. Until, and, and, it, and it was not ever the thought that my cancer was going to kill me. 
No, it was that that chemotherapy was going to kill you. That that chemo treatment was going to kill me. And so, um, so yeah, so, so cancer treatment ends. I I spent my entire sophomore year uh, with tutors and not in school at all. And so junior year started and I was basically like the cancer kid, you know, like, so it's back to just like, what boy is going to like me? And now I need to like, you know, I also think I had some uh, family pressure and not meaning like from them, so to speak, but just my, all of my siblings had serious boyfriends and girlfriends in high school. And so I, I definitely like needed to, to be like them. Yeah. And it was not because they were necessarily like saying anything probably other than like, do you have a boyfriend? But, you know, I, I felt like something was, was missing. Like, why, why don't boys like me? What's wrong with me? Why don't they, why don't they like me? And, um, so I, (laughs) so my junior year in high school, I went on this trip. Uh, it was called close up and we went to Washington DC for a week and then we went to New York for a week basically. And you meet up with all these other schools and stuff like that. So we, uh, it's in like the springtime and we go to DC and I don't know, I, I don't know what's going on, but all of a sudden, like, there's literally like all these boys in the week that were together that like me. Okay. That like want to hang out and want to, you know, go do stuff with me. And I am like, I have no, I mean, this is literally the first time in my fucking life. Yeah. And I'm, I literally have no idea what to do. I just thought it was the craziest. A ton of these kids were from South Dakota. My roommates were from South Dakota. This is important for later. And uh, just truly had a blast. And I wasn't the cancer girl. Nobody knew that I had had cancer. Like, all this kind of stuff. It was very, uh, like freeing and wonderful. And I had just the best, best, best time. And so when I came home, um, also, I guess I should also say, this is also leading into, um, when we moved to Hawaii, my brother was a senior in high school and he lived with us the first semester of that year of his senior year. And then he went back to Utah and lived with his best friend, um, so that he could graduate uh, with all of his friends and stuff. Cause my, we had moved in his senior year. My per- parents really wanted to make that happen for him. Well, at the same time, my best friend, uh, even though we were in the like eighth, ninth grade, her parents said, well, if you want to do the same thing your senior year, you can come and live with us. Okay. Mm. So as my junior year is ending, you know, I'm like, I want to go do this. Right. I want to have the high school Utah dance experience um, that everybody else got. I want to go there. I want to do this thing. Um, And so it all gets arranged and aligned that I'm going to go live with my friend's family, like her and her family uh, for my senior year in Springville and go to high school there. So um, on the way to go do this, I asked my parents if I can go to South Dakota and visit these you know, like hotel roommates of mine from the trip. And did you fail to mention that they were boys? And well, what my roommate was a girl. So I was going to stay with her. And um, so my parents do it. They fly me to South Dakota and I am in South Dakota for a little bit over a week, like 10 days. And um, oh, at this point, like my uh, junior prom, I had my 
I had a half a wine cooler at prom. Like I'm starting to, oh yeah. Like, and actually the only thing that stopped me was I was worried because I was on medication still for my chemo treatment. Like I was getting a shot a week and I was on like pills every night. And so I started drinking and I got kind of nervous. And then I asked my doctor if it was, next time I saw my doctor, I was like, does this react with alcohol at all? And he's like, uh, no, go ahead. (laughs) Good for him. Cool. (laughs) Um, and, uh, so, and this is when I just want to be a high schooler. Yeah. Like, I just remember having that thought. I just want to be in high school. Like, I have just spent a year in the hospital, like, fighting for my life. Like, I want to do everything that everybody else is doing. But now that you've been through cancer, you have this, like, new way that you're supposed to handle yourself and your body. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, why would you drink? Because you just had to go through all this with your body. Well, I'm 16. Like, I don't know, you know, like you yeah. obviously you don't have the, the brain power to know exactly everything that you've been through, but everything was about friends and social life and whatever. So I just wanted to be a teenager. And that's that is normal. all I wanted. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I went to South Dakota and basically partied my ass off the entire time I was there. I had so much fun. Like these kids were so great. We went to big like bonfires and cornfields at like abandoned barns and just all this stuff that was so, so, so fun. And every, like everything had beer at it, like just drinking. Um, So this is the first time, like the night I got there, we went to her house and her parents were gone, but these two boys came over and they brought beer and alcohol and we got drunk and me and this boy made out. And he fingered me for the first time. And I was like, just had the best time. All this, you know, just so great. He and I like hooked up a couple more times. I gave my first hand job on that trip. Wow. Made out with a different guy. I was just having the time of my life. It was a coming of age trip for you. Sure. Also <laughs> smoked my first cigarette. Like just whatever. Yeah. Just going for it. And also in my head, I'm like, I'm moving to Utah. So I'm just going to, it's almost like the, I'm just going to balls to the wallet for this 10 days. And then I'm going to go do the Mormon thing. Right. Like yeah. how many times do you have that conversation with yourself? I'll just like, you know what? And then I'll start that Mormon thing. And then I'll, maybe I'll start uh-huh. going back to church and like, whatever. And so I'm convinced, right. That this, that the location is everything. So once I start, I'm going to leave all this behind. I'm going to go be this like Mormon kid and do the Mormon thing and whatever else. And it's going to be amazing. So we, uh, so I move in with my friend and uh, <laughs> this, so I wrote about it in my journal, you wrote about it in my journal. You didn't learn. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and it was before my parents were going back to Hawaii and my mom came and picked me up one day and she's like, I really need to talk to you. And we, we drove to the Provo temple. Oh boy. And I can't remember what exactly we were talking about, but, um, something about, and I said something about somebody being drunk and my mom said, what does being drunk feel like? And I said, I don't know what being drunk feels like. Why would I know that? And she goes, I'm going to ask you that one more time. Oh man. What does being drunk feel like? And I just had that. Oh shit. Like I'm busted, but I don't know how, you know, like, I'm like, how does she know? Like, what is, what does she know? Um, Cause I had like drank in Hawaii before we left. Like, I'm just like, I don't know what she knows. Um, 
And so basically she goes into the whole thing and like, I know that you were drinking and um, having like sexual encounters in South Dakota and all of this stuff. Um, And I mean, I'm just, she tells me that, uh, you know, this family knows and they've had conversations and I get the, ultimately they've decided that Utah is the place for me to be. You know, so they're going to let me stay, but like, you're on like watch Mm -hmm. basically like, like academic probation, but for your morals. And, um, so I'm like, okay. And I remember having those like thoughts in my head, like, I'm going to do this. Like, I don't, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the Mormon thing and, and it'll be good. And I'll put some effort in whatever. Um, but just like things just kept happening, like one right after the other with this family that just made me look like an absolute liar. And they were all like, none of it was happening. I mean, I, I tell my husband all the time, like when the universe really wants me to like not do or do something, it I looks like something will happen and it'll look like I have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it is not my fault. And it is like, but it there's no it's just like my word versus somebody else's. And so they went on this trip to Cancun and the, her dad's office was attached to his home. And so he's like, if you need to get in the house or whatever, you can come by the office and, and they'll let you in. Um, if you need to, if you forgot anything or whatever. So one day I stepped by there because I had left a school book in my room. And, uh, so I, you know, have the office people let me in and whatever, just grab it, leave. Well, when they got home from this trip and I got home from staying with another friend, they were waiting for me and they were pissed and they wanted to know who I had had over. Oh man. And did I have a party? What was it? Like, did I have, you know, did I sleep there? And I was like, I had no idea what they were talking about. And he told me that before he left, he had checked all the windows in the house and when they came back, my window was cracked. So it was like, tell me the truth. And I was like, I am telling you the truth. Like, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. And um, they just never believed me. They thought that I did all this stuff. And then, um, you know, there would be days the school would call and say I was absent when I wasn't, I couldn't, you know, like it was just, it was literally, I was having the worst time. And, uh, so they sent me home. Uh, so after like my first semester there, they sent me home, um, stating that they had, cause my friend, um, that was their daughter, she was the oldest of four. So stating that they had, you know, three younger kids and they didn't want this kind of example around their children. Mm. And, uh, so I got sent back to Kauai, which honestly, like so grateful for, I remember, before moving there my senior year feeling like I should I that I that I should stay on Kauai Mm -hmm. like I remember thinking but so much had transpired Mm -hmm. to get me to Springville and they um had to do a bunch of stuff with like my treatment and getting that turned over and whatever that um uh I just I felt like I couldn't say that I didn't want to go you know yeah and so I went And I mean, there were other things, there were things that I probably was just a regular teenager, but when it's somebody else's parents, like trying to deal with you, um, maybe it just seems extra bad, you know, plus I, 
uh, was supposed to be really good about going to this doctor's office to get my shot of methotrexate every week. And I was never good about it, <laughs> never went and never got it done. So uh -huh. that freaked them out, you know? Yep. Um, but I remember we had this like meeting with both sets of parents and me, um, when they told me that they weren't going to let me stay. And I remember her dad kept saying that I was just not at all the influence that he wanted around his children. Wow. And, um, and I remembered like the thoughts of like, what is wrong with me? Like, I know that, you know, this stuff is wrong and why did I do it? And what is, you know, like what is so messed up in, in my own head and whatever else. And so then the promises came again, like when I moved back to Kauai that like, okay, I'm going to give this Mormon thing a go again, mm -hmm. but you know, whatever, I'm going to be really good this time. And that's just mostly when it all kind of came crashing. I think that I was so shame filled mm -hmm. um, at this point that uh, then there was just like no respect for myself. Yeah. You know, then I, then I was um, going to be the person that everybody thought I was, mm -hmm. you know, and there were these other like little messages, you know, I started drinking again and went, you know, go have pina coladas with everybody and this and that. And um, on senior prom, we were at my friend's house. We all got drunk and there was this guy there. I think his name was Andrew. I don't remember, um, but he was out of high school and he and I made out that night. And my friend told me the next day, she said, you know, I can't believe you did that with him. And I said, uh, okay, like why? And she said, because he was, um, he was on some like Christian, like celibacy thing where he was like trying to be celibate for a month. And I just ruined that. I ruined that for oh, him. Oh, that was your fault. Like I remember, and she was a Mormon. That was just her like freaking response, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, so a lot of those messages were just really coming across at this point, like that I was like truly damaged goods, mm -hmm. um, which is another, you know, kind of hole I'm going to go ahead and poke in uh, Mormon rules and whatnot is to preach forgiveness in the way that they do. You're never forgiven. Nope. Like you are never forgiven. You carry that. You carry whatever it was yep. for the rest of your fucking life. Mm hmm and, um, and so all of these things like really, really did started to pile on and I felt worthless. Um, I also was, uh, for the first time in my life, um, like getting male attention, mm -hmm. um, and having boys that, you know, wanted to take me out and whatever. Uh, and so this is when I ultimately, um, uh, now I realize it's kind of like my, uh, people, people pleaser syndrome, mm -hmm. uh, having zero clue what consent was and being afraid to make anybody upset with me, mm -hmm. you know, which people pleaser, sorry, redundant. Um, but, uh, you know, that summer I moved into an apartment with a friend of mine in Salt Lake city and 
that's just when, I mean, pretty much like any dude could have taken advantage of me. Um, and I would have been right there for it because I thought that like everybody, I thought that every guy liked me, mm-hmm. you know, I thought that, uh, and it, I mean, it's hard to explain a little bit, but I just, there, there was no connection to my body. Mm-hmm. Um, so when things were happening and clothes are coming off, I wasn't like, Ooh, I can't show that or, you know, whatever. Um, I just got really, really good at disconnecting and just kind of being like, well, this is what is expected of me. And this is like the next step. And this is, you know, um, and so my very first weekend in college, I lost my virginity, uh, on a one night stand. And, um, he was kind of like a friend of a friend mm-hmm. and, um, I was drunk, so drunk, so, so, so drunk. And I just remember thinking, let's just get this over with. Mm-hmm. Like, I just kind of wanted to like, check it off the mm-hmm. list mm-hmm. almost. And let's just get this over with. Uh, so the funny part is that like two days before that, my sister, cause when I went to college, I went to Utah state, which is in my hometown. So Logan, Utah, back, back to where it all began. Mm -hmm. And my sister lived there with her husband and two little kids. And two days before this, her and I were driving around and she said to me, you know, if you need anything, like, cause she got pregnant before she got married. And she's like, if you need to go on birth control or you need like, whatever, like, please come and tell me, like, I'll help you or whatever. Cause I don't want you to have to do what I did, whatever. Yeah. So, um, so the day after I had sex for the first time, um, I call, I did not call my sister. I called my ex-sister-in-law, my brother's ex-wife who lived there as well. And she took me to Planned Parenthood and I got the shot. Mm. Um, because I did not want to have pills. I did not want to have evidence of anything. Um, and which is also sad. Mm -hmm. That's also a super sad Mormon thing because I, oh my gosh, like it makes me sick to my stomach to think, because I was on depot for three years, like so bad for your body. Mm -hmm. And, but I didn't, we didn't know anything about birth control and there was no way I was going to ask fucking questions because I was already a center for being there in the first place. Yep. And taking, like, the step to then protect yourself against pregnancy, like, you're also admitting that yes. you're going to do it again. Yep. Um, so, uh, me and my one night stand, we never had sex again. That was it, of course, because it was just, he totally ghosted me after that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then it just, it just began, like, the second guy uh, that I dated, um, we had sex the first night that we hung out um he uh we had sex with a condom uh, the first time and then he we woke up again like in the middle of the night and he pressured me into having sex like I the the thing is was like I had no idea about saying no or like what would happen when you say no or any of those things um and so was I like assaulted by him I you know I don't know um I know I didn't want to a lot of the time and just never said a fucking word yeah. like literally I I am I'm really good at disconnecting from my body like I'm really good at it 
So that's just what I would do, you know? And yeah. then there would be another guy and I would really, really like him. And then, you know, but if it went past like one or two nights and he didn't want to have sex with me, I would be like, why don't you want to have sex with me? Like, right. what's wrong? Like what's going on? Um, and I started hanging out with frat guys and drinking and doing all this stuff. Right. So I, <laughs> I went home for Christmas break that year and, um, my sister was along and the day that they left, my parents sent me down at the table cause I was like staying with them for the month and told me that they knew I was on birth control and that uh, I needed to get off. Come my on. sister told on me, my sister told on me seriously, and that I needed to get off and that, um, and I was on academic probation. Like obviously I was blown at school and, um, and you know, my dad was like, you know, the only reason why we are going to let you go back is if you do the church thing, like you've got to be going to church, you've got to be like all these things. And so of course I agreed. And, um, I went to my ward, like the first Sunday back and made an appointment with the bishop. And that appointment, I remember going, I do not remember a fucking thing. Like, I remember being there. I remember crying. I don't remember a word that I said. And I don't remember a word that he said. Wow. Um, because once so, again, you were probably dissociated the whole time. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I know I was. Re-traumatizing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, and I truly, I felt like shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt like what was wrong with me? Like, oh, I don't respect myself. I don't, all of these things. Like I'm, I'm such like trash really. And, um, shortly after that, my childhood friend, um, he and I were like inseparable as kids and like had sleepovers and stuff when we were little and, <clears throat> he was coming home from his mission and we were going to go skiing together. And my mom and I were on the phone and I said, because even still, like, even though I'm not going to church, I'm not doing any of that stuff. Like there's still so much of it. That's like in me, like I'm 21 years old and I'm thinking about marriage. Like who's gonna like, you know, when am I going to get married? Like mm -hmm. all these things. And so I tell my mom, I said, how crazy would that be if, Corey and I got married <clears throat> and she said, Oh, sweetie, he would not, he would never marry you. And I said, excuse me. I mean, like I, I really had, <sighs> I was like, what? And she said, um, I mean, Megan, like think of your, of your year this past year, like, he's getting home from his mission. Like he's looking for someone that's pure and clean. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so like super, super heavy message there that, big, and so, big. yeah. Um, I mean, and honestly, I, I spent my college years, uh, what I like to say as like fucking away my problems. Like mm -hmm. I just, I had zero self-worth. Um, I 
uh, still just craved like male attention. That's all that mattered. Um, and I, I mean, there, especially at Utah State, um, I was sexually assaulted twice there, mm. um, and never told a soul. Mm. Um, I would have never told my parents like oh. ever. I still wouldn't even tell them to this day because it would have been my fault. And I just, I, I know that I know, I remember, you know, this, this night and I was at a party and we were drinking, of course. And I, um, passed out on this couch and this guy, you know, came up and was like talking to me and this and that. I just remember being super kind of like in and out, passed out. And, uh, um, like, I just remember him like taking off my clothes and me being like, Oh, let's not do this and whatever. And he was, I remember him telling me just to be quiet. And mm-hmm. so I just was like, I just, I remember laying there. I remember not moving. Wow. I remember not moving. And I remember the next morning I was sitting in my dorm room and I was crying and I, I mean, I just, I had no one to tell. And yeah. I, and I truly thought it was my fault. Like, I mean, I, I also, uh, that was a huge, huge part of what was going on. Why I couldn't tell anybody is because then I would have had to admit that I was drinking, mm-hmm. that, you know, I was at a guy's house, that I was, you know, all of the things. Um, yep. And I had, I had nowhere to go. Yeah, I had I'm nowhere so to go. Sorry that happened to you. Oh, I mean, thank you. But I, you know, I, um, I, and I think that that's honestly like the saddest thing about the church. And, and I could even say that this is really across most religions is, and Christina, I know you and I have talked about this a ton with your own story is when you're telling me to parent my child in a way that does not increase their self-worth, that's fucked up. Yep. And, and that, and that truly like parents feel justified. Like, I don't think that, that my parents were being malicious or being no. like, I don't love my child. I know that they most definitely felt like they were doing it out of love the entire time, at least for my parents. Um, mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly believe that, but how okay it was, yep. right. This was their job. This was their job as my parents. And they needed to, you know, get me on this different path. But the the more shame and guilt they piled on, the worse it got. Mm-hmm. Like truly, just the worse it got. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I think let's see. By the time I was twenty, um, so and I lost my virginity like a couple months before my nineteenth birthday. So in about a year and a half. I slept with over 25 guys Mm -hmm. and that was, um, you know, uh, probably I would say half and half, half like, uh, to punish myself and half in hopes that this person was going to be and want to marry me. Right. Like, but then also being like, Oh, you're so dumb because no guy would want to marry you. It makes it so convoluted like all of that stuff. And I just, it's, it's, it's truly something that I, that I 
I deal with to this very day. Um, that, that even in my like young mind and what I was trying to work out on my own or whatever, you know, that, that is unforgivable. Yeah. That that is that like, that, wow, I just, I, I took everything, you know, that had been given to me and just like ruined it, just ruined it. And it was over and done. And there's no, even though there's this, supposedly there's this forgiveness path, but just kidding, no guy wants to marry you, but just kidding, like, you know. I I just had a conversation with a friend about this, um, about, I think it was just yesterday. We were talking about this idea, were you taught the analogy, there, the lesson on chewed gum or licked cupcake yeah. Okay. It's, it, it finally occurred to me and hit me that it wasn't, none of that was about actually about sex. It was about a piece of paper. And the reason I can say that is because if you take a, a young girl who's had sex out of wedlock with somebody, she's dirty, right? She's a licked cupcake, mm-hmm. a chewed piece of gum. Nobody's going to want her because she's dirty. You take another woman who's married, has sex with her husband thousands of times, and they get divorced. She can be married again, and that's no problem. It's not about the sex. She's had sex thousands of times. It's about the piece of paper. It's not about the sex but they tell you it's about the sex and it's just messed up. And then going back to something you've been talking about before, like, no, there's no place in the church that teaches anything about consent. And this is what gets people in so much trouble. Nobody is taught anything about consent. You, well, you, no, because you're just, they're not going to teach you about consent because you're not supposed to be there in the first place. It's all abstinence. That's right. And, and, and so, I want to say to them, how's that working out for you? Abstinence, <sighs> the abstinence lesson has not worked out for humanity since the beginning of time. No, no, because we're animals and that's, it's a, it's in our nature. It's it normal. Our nature. It's a normal human thing to do. You're right. We are animals. And so to, but to talk like, and why not talk about, you know, boundaries and talk about, you know, what you are comfortable with, what you aren't comfortable with, like, think about those things, like know your body, listen to your body. Like it's okay to say no and have somebody get mad at you. That might happen. Right. And like, just because I can't tell you how many times that even the times that I, I would be like, um, no. And then a dude would get mad and then I'd be like, okay. Right. And, and that's, that's not consent. No. I mean, you, you say, oh yeah. Okay. But that's not really what consent means. And so here it is. You're still really doing this against your will. Yeah. If, if when it really comes down to it, you know, you talk about teaching boundaries. If we really want to teach girls to value their selves, like to have self-worth, 
it's not don't have sex. It's own your body, set your own boundaries, have the power to use your voice. It's okay for you to say no or say yes, because it's your body. It's your body. You own it. And it's it's also okay to like being touched. Yes. Because again, it's normal. And let's, I mean, if you want to go down that rabbit hole too, it's like, why, what kind of a God creates human beings with these raging sexual urges and then says, yeah, but don't, but don't actually use them. That's your, that's just your sacrifice that you need to make. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Right. That's your sacrifice as a woman. Okay. Just bear children and be done with it. (laughs) Exactly. Have just enough sex, have just enough sex to bear children, but don't like it too much. You know? Oh my God. But we're still going to give you this urge. It's just so fucked up. And here's the thing is that like what I've learned later in life, and I was actually really happy to hear on the podcast of yours that I was listening to today. And she was like, yeah, I was like 30 the first time I orgasmed. And, um, although my first vibrator I got when I was 21, so I had those, but I had my first orgasm having sex in my late Mm thirties. And, um, and that took a lot of fucking work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. But like a lot of work internally, you know, to literally release that shame that I had around my body and putting like trust in myself. Um, I think, uh, I feel like I told you this the other day, Christina, but like, you know, uh, I literally have to sometimes when I'm having sex, I literally have to say to myself, I like, I trust you, Megan. Yeah. Yeah. Because I used to say, when I started it, I would say it about my husband and I would say in my head, like, I trust him. I trust him. Right. Cause I would make it about the other person. Mm-hmm. I'd make it like that. It's about this guy. It's about whatever. And I need to trust this person and let them in. And all of a sudden I had this kind of like, Oh my gosh, like it's me mm-hmm. because I, I need to trust in myself that I can control this situation mm-hmm. you and did make it me- into what I want. You did tell me that the other day. It was kind of an aha moment for me too. when you said that just this idea that it's about me trusting myself. Yeah. Yeah. Big. And there's, I mean, I could, I could literally plug that into almost any subject having to do uh, with something that the church taught me because anything in that realm mm-hmm. was something inside me that would be like pulling in opposite directions because I had like my true self and and this other and this other person, mm-hmm. I mean, I've told you my cover band, real band yes, scenario, which I heard on the Glennon Doyle podcast, which I love, but like, yeah, like what's your cover band? Because the cover band is all the shit you have been, that has been ingrained in your body and in your mind mm-hmm. that just responds like nothing, you know? Yep. Um, and if you think about a really good cover band, if you close your eyes, it sounds just like, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, there's this great band this is it. This is that person. But really like, is it you? Mm -hmm. Is it how you truly think and believe is your reaction? Is your, is your gut feeling like you're really your gut or is that your cover band talking? Is that your ego? Right. Is that, 
the conditioning? Is that the Mormon conditioning that I've been raised with my whole life? Or is this truly how I feel about something? Right. Like when I look at the facts, when I dig into information, Ooh. like, whoa, yeah. like read a book, maybe like two books, maybe be like, oh my gosh, well, that was really interesting. I'm going to read this other book. And then I'm going to read like a book from the other viewpoint and make mm-hmm. my own decision. Like, I remember in high school, my, my brother actually, he did convert somebody in Hawaii, like one of his friends right off the bat. And we had sister missionaries at the time. So I always had to sit in on the discussions because there couldn't be two guys and two girls. So I always had to be in on the discussion. And I remember that being my first time that I had really ever heard the discussions. And here I am, I'm like 16 years, like 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And the first one do you want to get baptized? And I was like, whoa, I remember being like, and I was in the church and I remember being like, that was fast. Like, Yes. <laughs> I wanted to be like, do you know what you're getting yourself into by the way? Well, because it's um, all based on feelings. And if we, if yeah. we wait too long, you might actually look into the information yes. and we wouldn't want that. Like, just let's commit. Like it feels uh, right. Right. So let's do it. Uh, yeah. And you know, it's funny because I, you know, when I, um, like look at my reason really for when I stopped going to church, uh, after high school was because I was like drinking and I knew I wasn't going to stop. And I, I was so tired of, of the double life that I watched everybody else live. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be the hypocrite. I didn't want to show up to church on Sunday. I literally, I used to, um, hang out with these kids that went to Timview High, uh, which is like the prestigious high school in like the Provo area. Um, just like a bunch of rich Mormons and all this stuff. Oh my gosh. I've never seen so many kids snort Oxycontin in my entire life. Right? Like every single solitary one of them. Double life. Every one of them. Everyone's living and the double life. So I was like, okay, like if I'm living like this, then I'm not going to church because I'm not going to be that person. And, um, so when I, once I got, when, once I did snag a guy and get married, uh, and started having kids and stuff, then it really became about something else. Then I started to, to dive into it a little bit more and like learn about it. Uh, for the first time in my life, like truly started to learn about it. Mm -hmm. And I ended up reading the book under the banner of heaven. Oh, naughty girl. Um, which totally changed. Like it, I mean, I was like, there it was. Remember when I told you that my mom read me the work in the glory? Yes. There was the other side of the story Mm -hmm. to the work in the glory right in my hand. And I was like, Oh, the other perspective mm-hmm. of the people that lived in these areas when Mormons came rolling in and were like, and your 13 year old daughter is mine, by the way, and you're going on a mission and you're going over here and I'm trying to be president of the United States. And like, and I was just, I remember being pissed as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like I was so mad. I was so angry. And I was like, how fucking dare you keep this from us? Yep. Like, and, and, and again, there was that contradictory thing again, because they're always like, oh, the church is perfect and this and that, and there's nothing that could, 
Well, then if that's the case, then lay it all out for everybody. Exactly. Because why again, isn't it all out there from your mouth? First? Because right, informed consent, right? In order to, to make an informed consent, you have to know all the information. They don't believe in consent in any way, shape or form. No, no. I, I mean, and that's, and, and so, and at this time I, um, you know, I was like keeping my name on the records because I thought, well, I don't want to like, it's so important to my mom. And if I don't believe in it, who cares if my name's on it or not, you know? And, um, and so at this point in time too, I get cancer for the second time. Um, I got a different kind of cancer. I got thyroid cancer and had my thyroid removed. And so I had kind of like, I read this book from cancer number two, just all these things are going on. My kids are little and, um, I'm sitting at the Mayo clinic one day waiting to get blood work done. And it's like the most depressing room on the face of this planet. I hate being in this room. It's like where everybody goes to get any kind of testing done. So blood work, if you need an x-ray, if you're there for radiology. So it's a very large waiting room. And I was probably the youngest person in there by far. So, I mean, most people in there are probably over 70. Um, and I'm looking around this room and I'm thinking like everyone in here is like fighting to live. Like every person in here has, I'm at the Mayo clinic. Like you don't go to the fucking Mayo clinic to get stitches. Like you're there for a reason yep. and it's to save your life. And I'm looking around at all these people and I'm thinking how crazy this all is. And just all of a sudden I'm like, oh, if I died, I would be a Mormon. Like it just hit me. Yeah. And I just thought if I died like in a car crash on my way home today, I would die a Mormon. It would be on the fucking books. And who knows like what would happen after that? Who knows what my parents would do at my funeral? Who knows what would like, you know, but I would be permanently, no one would be able to take me off. Yeah. And I would be a permanent number on that number that they love to throw out. Mm -hmm. This is how many Mormons there are in the world. And and my husband had been trying to get me to take my name off for a long time. And I just fought it and fought it. And I came home that day and I was like, I'm fucking done. Like I'm ready. I want my name off. And so I went through the whole process and I will just like never, it seriously is one of my favorite memories to this day. Cause you had to send in the letter and then they sent the Bishop to my house to oh, confirm, boy. to confirm that it was me. Yeah. Like, did you send this letter? And again, just like my, Bishop, when I was in high school, I just fucking lucked out because as soon as I opened the door, he's like, Hey, you know, I'm just double checking to see that this is you. And in my head, I'm like, Oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. Right. Like he's going to try to talk me into saying, he's going to give me the list of all the reasons, you know, why not to get your name taken off. And he goes, well, he's a super young guy. And he goes, well, so truth be told, he's like, I just became the Bishop like two weeks ago. And he goes, so this is you, you wrote this letter. And I go, yeah. And he goes, okay, so I guess all I got to do is I got to send something back to like confirm that you confirmed it was you. And then I guess you get a letter in like a couple weeks and it just says like that your name's taken off. And I go, okay. And he goes, I mean, do you need anything else from me? And I go, <laughs> no. And he's like, all right, well, you know where we are if you need us. And he leaves. And I just shut the door and I turned around and my husband and I just started jumping up and down. Like I was so 
thrilled and happy. And I was like, and then when I got that letter that was like, your name is done with the threat, you know, uh, also all your blessings are taken away and all your promises and all that kind of stuff. And I like, I poured over that letter and I just read it over and over and over and over again, almost like waiting for that feeling. Yeah. Like waiting for the feeling like I did something wrong. Right. And it didn't come, did it? And it never came. It just got more and more fun every time I read it. I was like, this is the best day ever. And like, why, you know, of course I'm always like, why did I wait so long? But obviously timing's always perfect. And you do it at the time that's best for you. Yeah. But I was, I mean, I was just so, so fucking thrilled because I realized that really all my church decisions were not mine. No. I mean, I didn't decide to get baptized at eight. No. Oh my, like three of my best friends were getting baptized on the same day. Like I was not going to, like nobody would have, uh, I've ne- I never saw anybody not get baptized. Like why? Because what are the I consequences of saying you don't want to be baptized? Ostracized from the group? Kicked out of the tribe? Like, but like, why would I have ever even thought that in yeah. the, in the community that I grew up in? I mean, that would have right. been. Like, it's just what you do. It's the next thing. Absolutely. So I just, I, I, um, and even like when I got my patriarchal blessing, just like a ton of other people were getting it at the time. I didn't want to be like the one without my patriarchal blessing. I wanted to get it too. Right. So I, I felt like sending in that information, getting my name taken off. Like that was my, my first real choice about the church that was the first time that I was just like you know what like no nope um I don't want my name counted with this I don't like it doesn't mean I don't love my family it doesn't mean that I'm not a good person like all of these things and it just means I don't want to be associated with any of that just like reclaiming your self yeah yes Yes. So absolutely like one of the best decisions I've ever, ever made. And, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how long we've been going, but, um, I, a couple years ago, I found ice baths. Yeah. I was really wanting you to touch on that if you could. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, I will say, you know, that, through like drinking and, and all this stuff, like I, I had really found myself in a very unhealthy, um, situation, like mentally, physically. Um, I was working in the bar industry, specifically in the beer industry in Arizona. And just like, I really just took it as an excuse to just drink all the time. And it was, I know now completely to avoid, um, my feelings and stuff. And so when quarantine happened, I, and everything came to an all stop. I decided for the first time in my life that I was really just going to like work on myself. I was very unhealthy on the inside. I was pretty sure that I was about to get cancer round number three. And, you know, I was drinking, I was smoking cigarettes, like, you know, and I was like, okay, like four reels, I'm going to do this uh, for me. And I started kind of on this health journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I reached out to uh old bar friend of mine who had also kind of left the industry and she was kind of into health and wellness. And I reached out to her and we met up for dinner and 
we were just kind of chit-chatting and she told me about inner child work. That was the first time I'd ever heard about that. And she told me to go home and find a picture of my eight-year-old self and start talking to her and saying nice things to her. So very, very pivotal day all the way around. And then she said, hey, like I have these friends and they make ice baths for a living and they're having a barbecue at their house on Sunday. Why don't you come? And uh, it's really crazy. I've only ever done it once. I don't ever want to do it again, but she's helped her a ton and whatever else. And she, so, she said she had only ever done it once. Yes, okay. exactly. It's just not, she's not a fan. Okay. Um, but so she's like, you should come. And so for some reason I said, yes. And we, my husband and I went over there. We fought the entire way there, like literally. And they lived in like North Phoenix. We fought mm-hmm. the entire way there. And almost ended up like turning around and going home, but ended up going anyway. And her and I are chit chatting and I'm watching all these people like get in, they have an ice bath in their backyard, Mm -hmm. 32 degrees. Mm -hmm. And I'm just watching people like walk over there and like get in it and just sit there. And I'm like, what the fuck are these people doing? This Mm -hmm. is wild. And so she starts talking to me about all the benefits and like what it's done for her personally, as far as her health is concerned, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, she says, you want me to guide you through a nice bath? And I said, sure. So, um, first ice bath experience, two and a half minutes, 32 degree water. I most definitely went into an active fight response. I mean, I was freaking out before I even got in there. I remember my ears were on fire. Um, my heart was racing. I could barely breathe. Uh, and, um, as soon as I got out, I was like, and when do I get to do that again? Like yeah. what, like, what do I have to do to get that in my life again? And so her and I actually became friends and I learned a lot about ice baths. Um, and I got into it originally for the physical benefits, which are the laundry list is long. Um, basically pick a thing and it fixes it. Uh, but what I noticed when I started doing it more was that my anxiety went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, my depression symptoms were dwindling and I was getting, I was gaining confidence. Like Mm -hmm. just really for the first time in my life, I, I was uh, managing a health and wellness center. And I mean, it it was just, it was changing me every single time that I would get in. And when you get into that cold of water, you can also release a lot of trauma. And so that started happening where I would have, these ice baths. And then I would have these like moments of clarity afterwards of, um, you know, the time I was 17 and bought a brand new bikini and came home and got a lecture for 20 minutes for my mom about what if a married man had been on the beach that day, like right. all of it, you know, and, and crushing this like amazing and wonderful memory. Um, actually I keep this pictures in here. Oh, I can see that. That's amazing. That's the bikini. That's the day. So actually, our listeners won't be able to see that, but (laughs) Megan just held up a picture of her in this bikini and you look like you have a lot of confidence in there. Yeah. I had like, that was the best day ever as a junior in high school. We were playing on the beach, like five-year-olds, me and my best friend. Yeah. And her mom snapped that picture, but I, the 
anyways, that, that vision came to me after an ice bath one day, like mm-hmm. that, that was a part of myself that I needed to heal, that I needed to talk to, that I needed to be there for, because my mom was not there. You know, I need, I need to be there. I need to tell her that she looked great and mm-hmm. she didn't have any ulterior motives and she had a great day and that's okay. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of experiences like that in the ice and, um, I, continued to build a a, a friendship with this woman and uh, she had created, you know, a a method to get people into the ice and I did her course and it kind of just went from there. Um, And there is something about it. Like I uh, it's completely and whole like flipped my life upside down in the best way possible. Um, It like I said, the gift of confidence, the gift of um, facing fear, of um, uncomfortable, mm-hmm. of knowing what uncomfortable feels like, the good kind of uncomfortable, the kind that uh, where growth is on the other side, yeah. um, the empowerment, like the, the, the personal empowerment for a human being, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, for a human being that never that never felt like I could even exhibit that kind of power. Mm -hmm. But as a female, um, that, uh, that was not my place in life and realizing now that, you know, that fiery girl, that, that, that person that, that kind of always had those questions in the back of her mind, like she is, she is being like rebirthed basically through the ice and, um, I, uh, it's changed my life. I do it now for a living. I want to continue to do it for a living. I want to get every single solitary human being in a nice bath. Uh, I want everyone to, to know what that nervous system regulation feels like. Um, cause ultimately that's what it's doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, oh my gosh, as a trauma release tool, there's nothing like, there's nothing like a good cry in the ice bath is one of my favorite things. (laughs) Yeah. Is it, is it okay if I interject a little bit here? Yes, please. So it's interesting because it's kind of, you know, Kendra, who's not with us tonight, we talk about this a lot, this idea of as we've deconstructed and healed ourselves, we find that as our energy changes, like certain human souls have been just magnetically drawn into our lives and into our circles. And it's kind of crazy because at least for me, I can only speak for myself. These are not people I go looking for. This is not, I'm not on some quest to find these people. It just happens. The universe sort of brings us together. And so I'm, I'm hijacking your, your time here a little bit, but I think it's important. And I want to share this. Um, how I found you is the place that you were working at their, their, somehow their Instagram page, their posts were showing up in my feed. And I don't know if it's because somebody posted it or, you know, sometimes you get posts because of your location. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Instagram will just show you certain things. I, I don't know what it was, but I was intrigued by this ice bath and, so I just clicked follow to follow this place. And 
I followed it for a while and I kept feeling like drawn to it. Like I need to go check this place out. I need to check it out. I need to check it out. But I didn't and I didn't and I didn't. And one morning I woke up and I was scrolling on my phone, just laying in my bed on a Sunday morning and it came up and I just like sat up and made a phone call and was like, Hey, can I come check this place out? Yes. Come on down. And then I went back and this is how I, I connected with you. I think was my second time there. You, you guided me through an ice bath and I have to say, I concur with everything you said. Like the first time I did it, I have never felt more powerful in my life. Like I got out of that thing and I just thought to myself, I felt like I could literally do anything. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. And then ever since then, every time I've done it, the, the amount of trauma that I have, that the ice has graciously taken from me. And that's kind of how I look at it. Like, it's sort of like I get in there and it's like, give it to me, leave it here with me. You don't need to hold on to that anymore. Um, and I, I do uh, want to share this as well. Uh, Kendra and I actually came there and saw you, we were together and you guided us through an ice bath that was life changing for us. I mean, we connected as friends. We, same letting go of trauma and just having you there to guide us through it. And your energy is so amazing. You've just got the most amazing energy. It was so healing for us on so many levels. And I, I feel so immensely grateful that you and I have connected because you're just an amazing human. You really are. Oh, thank you. That was a really cool experience for me as well. Yeah, That was actually like, um, uh, I think I'd only guided a few people like together in a tub before. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of experimental for me a little bit, but I mean, it was really, really powerful. Uh, that's one of the things that I love about it is that, I mean, I, I can feel so much of what the person in the ice bath is going through. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, usually, uh, if someone's about to cry, like, I mean, I can just feel it, like it'll come up in me like you guys saw I was crying I was we were crying um, at least I was yeah yeah like yeah it was it was very beautiful because you could feel like your connection to each other and um really that and and it's interesting because your connection is based out of uh or it, it comes from uh the church and kind of like how you and I, you know, that we can sit and we can talk about our pain and what's yeah. happened and what's transpired and and how how hard that is and how few people you really have to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so like having, like knowing that that was your connection to um, that there, that there's like pain and trust and love and letting yeah. go. And all of these things were just kind of like swirling around in that space all at once. And, and I, but uh, I feel like it, was, it wasn't just between me and her. It was like between the three of us. The three of us. Oh, 100%. Like it, we were like, we were all three just so connected. Just such an oh amazing gosh. healing, healing experience. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if I could have jumped in there with you guys, I would have. <laughs> uh, that would have been even more amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all just let me get in here. Yeah. Um, come on in. But, 
you know, I, I mean, the cool, the really cool thing, because a lot of times people are like, well, you don't need, like, I don't need a guide. I don't need to whatever. And um, no, you could probably muscle through it 100%. Like, or you could, uh, if you couldn't get it on your first time, you'll definitely, you could get the practice up. What I love about it and where you get kind of like the science and the woo kind of meld together mm -hmm. uh, in this moment is that, you know, when you get in and you put your body into a fight or flight response, you get this huge dump of norepinephrine. Norepinephrine rewires your brain, mm -hmm. right? That's why when we're kids and a traumatic event happens, our that norepinephrine in our brain wires into that scenario, right? Yeah. And so you can utilize that same experience and just say different things to yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You can literally rewire your brain for something different. You could, yes. uh, I've worked with a, a client before where she had a really traumatic story about being pushed into a pool at swim lessons and her life jacket wasn't on all the way. And so she slipped out of her life jacket and straight to the bottom, mm -hmm. right? And before she got into an ice bath, we rewrote that story mm. to where she told her instructor that she didn't want to go. And he listened and just let her go sit down on the side of the pool with her legs kicking in the pool. And another kid saw her stand up for herself. And he came and sat down next to her because he felt safe to stand up for himself too. And she rewrote this whole story. This was all her. As I said, well, how would you have preferred that day to go? We put her in the ice. And then I say things to her in the ice that have to do with that brand new memory that she's mm -hmm. trying to create. Um, and it's very intuitive. It just kind of like comes to me. I don't have like a script or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then um, an integration in the sauna for 20 minutes with like sound healing. And I mean, still to this day, she'll be like, oh my gosh, just like if I'm struggling at work, I literally like I close my eyes. And I picture that little boy coming and sitting next to me at the pool and just being like, like, let's just like chill here for a minute and, and like regain safety and like whatever else she goes, Oh my gosh, I just think about it all the time. So, I mean, you, you literally can, you can do so much magic in that moment with what you say to yourself. Um, yes. It's really, really cool. But also piggybacking on what you just said, you, you do so much magic in that moment with what you say to yourself, but you also said you rewire your brain. And what's so amazing about that is that it's not a one-time event. You get in that ice one time, but you continue when you get out to process. You continue because your brain has been literally altered mm -hmm. and it's it has been so wild for me. It's been... I, I've told people it's been one of the best forms of therapy I've ever done. It's kind of like self-therapy. It's, and, and, I, you know, I don't know how anybody else does it for me personally. I, before I get in there, I always, before I even walk through the door, I kind of have an intention that I set so that my mind is kind of in a certain place. And then I, I have an intention, but I also am, I remind myself to be flexible because the ice kind of sometimes has wisdom and teaches me yeah. things. And so I, I <laughs> it's going to be like, no, we're not doing that today. Exactly. Christina, and we're doing and else. I, <laughs> I remain open to that as well. And sometimes I get in there and have an experience that had nothing to do with my intention, but was everything that I needed at the time. And if mm -hmm. you want to talk about that kind of like, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, that just 
hippy dippy spiritually stuff. The woo woo. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have found that I connect with my ancestors in that bath. Like my you grandmothers. Get deep. You get deep in there. I do get very deep and I go way in and my ancestors will speak to me while I'm in there and they have, they've taught me some pretty amazing things. So I, I just, I'm, I'm such a believer in the work that you're doing and yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I mean, I think the one of the greatest things about it, my favorite moment is when somebody gets out, uh, especially after their first time. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is probably my favorite. I mean, I, if I could just like snap a picture of a person's face every single solitary time, everybody's smile would be pretty much the same. It is this smile of accomplishment and yes. empowerment mm-hmm. that only this scenario gives like, uh, and, and people that are, are feeling, you know, before they even get in and they're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so cold and I can't do this and I can't, you know, whatever. And just kind of this realization you can feel it go off in their heart like I just did that Mm -hmm. like I just did that and that is I mean that's truly just the metaphor in life I I mean and I use it all the time and I tell others to use it all the time is like when you face something like that you get the fuck in Mm -hmm. you get in and you surrender oh that's what it's all about is surrender you know that was and you surrender and then to whatever happens, cause you can have an intention. Sure. Mm-hmm. Every day we can have an intention, but we better surrender to what the fuck is coming our way exactly. and pay attention. And then no. And to turn around, you know, and you're like, I just did that. Yeah. I just did that hard thing. And that can be about anything in life. Right. Yep. And, and the ice bath just brings us that resiliency and that, um, Faith in ourselves uh, teaches us faith in our own bodies, mm-hmm. brings us into our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all of the things I just, I, I um, will never be without ice in my life. A hundred percent. Like just, it's just so beneficial. Just reinforces to me how, what a gift our bodies are and what they do for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and this is a, you know what, and that kind of a perfect example, like I'll, I'll tell you what, had I lived out my Utah Mormon life dream of never leaving there, which is definitely what I wanted as a child, uh, and you know, getting married in the temple, and I don't know what kind of um, you know antidepressant uh, medication I would be on at this point, and all of that kind of stuff. But instead, like I, I truly, I have maybe not done exactly you know the best things ever but like i've learned from it all and like here i am like uh uh everything up until this point has guided guided me huh to here yeah. to this to this purpose and to the and to ice bass and and truly my my dream to help people just find that empowerment within themselves because mm-hmm. that's where it is all along and with how we grow up and with how we grew up in the mormon church we are completely taught and drilled to not trust yourself to uh you know believe this guy over here follow what this person says follow what this person says and to doubt and to hide yourself Mm -hmm. and i think that uh you know i i love putting guys to the ice don't get me wrong like i'm all for it but like to put a woman through and to watch her 
like total disbelief in herself Yeah. before she gets in. You know, it's the, what am I wearing? Oh, I've got this bikini on. Oh, my fat's showing over here, like this and that, you know, and to, to watch uh, all the insecurities and all of these things kind of like swirl around her and to just know what that feels like, to just know everything that, that um, not everything that she's going through, but to like feel it, to know yeah. that I've had those feelings before um, and how lonely they are. Yeah. Like you yeah. literally feel stranded on an island and... Yeah. Um, and then to get in, to release, to know how powerful you are, to sense that, to feel it in your body, yeah. to feel your body like on fire like yep. that, the tingling, the everything that goes on, the awakeness, the awareness in your brain, the mm -hmm. like tingling on your head, like all of those things, like it is, um, I mean, I, I, I hope that every single person in this world gets to do one. Seriously. Because I just, I love, I love to see it. And it, uh, like, there's not a, there's not a person that it doesn't change their life. Yeah. But I've it's, seen so far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's so incredibly empowering. I like nothing I've ever experienced before. Yeah. 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 I mean, so I would love to, you know, part of, of uh, my future plans and things like that is, I mean, I, I, I want to be able to do like women's groups and, um, obviously I, I love the saying research is really me search. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I will always have like a religious kind of, um, safe haven aspect to it. Like, you know, and I would love to do, you know, like a six week group with, you know, like, uh, women and it, and it, it really could be any woman that has left any kind of religion. Cause I feel like we all kind of have a similar thread. Absolutely. But I would love to experiment with that and kind of talk about that religious trauma and then put someone through the ice and kind of, and see what happens there. I feel like we could do a lot of really cool stuff. What's your Instagram handle? My Instagram handle is ice coach Meg. And that's all one word. Um, I like I to think of you as ice queen Meg, but yeah. <laughs> anyway. It was yeah. kind of a corny name. Like I needed to, create like a public page and I couldn't, you know, um, I'm totally like, a. I look at everybody's like cool Instagram names. And I'm like, why couldn't I come up with that? Like, that's a really cool name. And that, you know, but I wanted it to get across the fact that there's ice baths involved, but then mostly yeah. I get questions about if I'm an ice hockey coach. So I don't know. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, but all your all they have to do is look at your photos and know like we're not talking about hockey here. This is That's not hockey. so funny. People are like, are you an ice hockey coach? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> so Maybe yeah, in my next life. So that's my Instagram, and then okay. so yeah, if anybody wants to follow me, um, uh, and if anyone's ever interested in in doing an ice bath or an event, you can always reach reach out as well. I'm getting getting close yeah. to. Uh, I've partnered with um, some amazing women and we're going to be opening Amplified Wellness um, hopefully within the next year. So that'll be um, ice baths and such uh, along with a coffee bar and a non-alcoholic bar. So we're very excited I about that. I can't wait. Yeah. So lucky me, I get to live in Arizona and I get to <laughs> see this come to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. We just need to find yeah. a space. It's, it's hard to, right. it's hard to find. It's a challenge. But whatever, yeah. when it's meant to be, it will be. It'll happen. Yep. 
Um, Rhea, uh, yeah, I was going to say, Rhea, your video froze for a really long time. And so I didn't know if you were holding your hand up or anything. And now that we've refreshed, <laughs> do you have anything you want to say or add or ask? First of all, the ice bath thing sounds absolutely amazing. Something I would love to do. And I'm really jealous that I'm not in Arizona. So that's, Come on that's down. a trip I'll Come have to down. make. Um, but I think overall, like... I have a lot of questions. I don't I don't know if I should, you know, while you were going through leukemia, did you have any feelings of like this is happening because of the choices that I've made at all? No. Like okay, I was just wondering because with my upbringing, that's definitely something that I think I would have struggled with, mm-hmm. you know, being I, I totally understand that. And my mom, my mom felt like it did. Uh, she definitely told okay. me, cause remember how I said that, you know, I had the journal thing had happened right before that we were arguing about right. clothing. We were all the, whatever. So she, uh, has said many times that I was going down a dark path and that right. getting cancer kind of turned that around. So you didn't feel that way so much, but you kind of understood that maybe your mom was feeling that mm-hmm. way, which is a lot to feel. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I just was like, if that was something that was in the back of your mind, like my mom probably thinks this is happening because of these choices, right? Oh, for like, sure. Yeah. But no, I never, I never had any of those thoughts though, for some reason. Okay. Okay, good. Well, and which brings me back to this, which is, um, you know, you were older when you finally said while you're having sex, you had to say to yourself, I trust you, Megan. But in these instances, like, I think you've, you forgot how to trust yourself. Like that that vision again of your dad and that little girl coming, I think, you know, we, we lose that. And I can see like, there was, um, what did I write down? There were three instances where I'm like, that's back to the, I trust you, which is, um, your leukemia being number one. And you're like, I cannot do this treatment, you know, and you trusted yourself. Um, I have, chicken scratch all over this paper where was the other one? Oh, and you're 33 what how old were you when you left the church well when oh like officially, officially it was my early 30s i feel like i was like 32 okay i put 33 i think that's because that was my age but again you're putting trust in yourself to make your own like decision and i felt the exact same way like I don't want to talk about me a lot, but my sisters were like, well, if you don't teach the gospel to the kids, like that's on you and you're going to be punished forever. And I was like, why wouldn't I do that then? (laughs) Like I will gladly be punished forever, but it's not true. And so I am going to like, I don't want to be a part of it. This is absolutely not a phase. Like, and I, I felt so relieved to finally, not eight years old, making a decision about religion, 
like as an adult, my first decision, and it was so refreshing. And then as you were talking about the lady doing an ice bath, rewriting her story about nearly, you know, drowning. Um, But that goes back to like trusting yourself, you know, like she, and so it kind of circles around and even though it's traumatic, it's also like beautiful and like healing. And I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like this is really what you're supposed to be doing. And I'm glad that you trusted in yourself and, and you know, you're where you're at. I think it's, I think it's amazing. Um, I did have a question about the ice bath though, really quick. Healing. Okay. So trauma and stuff. I've also heard like physically healing. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I started, um, there was a lot going wrong with me physically. Um, I had IBS. I had a 19-day period cycle. And I would get a yeast infection three days before every period. And that went on for two years. Yeah. When quarantine was coming up, I was getting really freaked out because I was having a lot of digestive issues and I was having memory problems. Like I couldn't remember my address and I had lived in the same house for, you know, 16 years, like literally couldn't recall my address. So I, I, when I initially was kind of, like when I reached out to that friend and had dinner with her, that was about health. Like I was like, I need help with my body, you know? Um, and so when I started ice bathing regularly and I kind of got my own at home setup, and it was just kind of right at the right time. Cause it was at the end of October. And so I was really just utilizing uh, the outdoors as what was like cooling it off. And I, I ice bath every day for an entire month and that literally reset almost everything like the um my period cycle went back to normal my yeast infections went away um and my gut finally started to heal now i did other things in the meantime like you cannot ice bath away a day of eating mcdonald's like that's not going to happen but um what i've found uh, more recently and just like with my research and stuff and I'm sure there's a lot of science that could even back this, but I'm just going to go with my woo-woo feelings and just kind of the stuff that I know about it thus far is what I think is really going on is that we are resetting and rewiring our nervous system. Uh, And when our nervous system is operating in our sympathetic state, which most of us are truly just walking around in a light state of fight or flight all the time because of, you know, the phones and the TVs and the notifications and the emails and the this and the that and all the shit that we carry around inside our bodies, um, that we're literally already in a light state of fight or flight. And our body cannot heal when we're in fight or flight. You have to be in your parasympathetic for your body to be able to heal. And your body is absolutely set to do so. Like homeostasis, like that's, that's, you know, science in the second grade. Like your body is always trying to get back to baseline. It's always trying to get back to baseline. And when it can't, that's when illness happens. So when we're operating in our sympathetic state all the time, 
we're not giving our body a chance. It doesn't matter what you're eating. It doesn't matter. Like none of that matters because you're in a state of fight or flight. So I know it sounds really crazy, but when we put our body into fight or flight actively by putting the, you in freezing water and you basically learn how to control that fight or flight on your own through your breath, right? Breath is everything. Like highly recommend reading any book you possibly can on breathing, but, and it's free, right? Breath is free. So you're putting like by breathing calmly, you know, focusing on your exhale, uh, surrendering all these things, you literally teach your body that in this situation, I can be calm. I am in rest or digest. I put myself there. I have that power through breath, right? Breath is the only, like it goes on our own without us thinking about it, but we can control it. So when you breathe like that, like when you slow down your breath and you slow down your heart rate after you put yourself into fight or flight, you've got all these cool natural drugs running through your body. Norepinephrine, dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, right? And that's the rewiring. So you're uh, you're basically setting your nervous system up for success. And now your body's like, cool, I can fix this little thing over here because I'm not stressed. So that's what I think is really going on. Is that very thing is we're, we're what we're really doing is we're regulating our nervous system. We're releasing trauma that's stored in our body, which also adds to that nervous system dysregulation, right? And we don't realize it. We don't, we, we put like the things on the shelf, like Christina always says, you put it on the shelf, it doesn't go away. So it's about opening up those, you know, jars and those boxes and dumping it all out and in the water and all of these things, right? And while we're, we're empowering ourselves to control our own nervous system, uh, I, that's where all of the healing happens mentally and physically. You know, I, I literally, I used to have like two anxiety attacks a week and I haven't had one in over two years. Like my nervous system is, is, is not already operating at that high capacity. Like where just any little thing would just fucking overflow me. Like that would be it. I'm in tears. I'm freaking out. I'm this, I'm that, whatever. You know, it's helped me, A, build up that resiliency. It's trained my body uh, to activate calm in a in a state of shock or whatever. Like, I know now I'm like, oh, cool, I can feel that. I'm just going to, like, ready my body and get it back to, like, the present moment. And that, I mean, honestly, an ice bath will definitely force you to be present with yourself. <laughs> There's no other option. <laughs> well, and that's funny that you say that because I did write down when you were talking, you said you got, there was no connection to your body, correct? Like as you were going through all of this and you got really good at disconnecting. And then, you know, you said you've been seven months sober, which is amazing, but that's just another way to disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. Like we were avoiding the things that, that are hard to work through. And, um, yeah, with these ice baths and like, we're choosing, I guess it's more like a choice. Like I, I trust in this as well. And like, I'm putting myself in this position and I know that I'm going to be okay. Like that's so empowering, like overall. So 
um yeah I just yeah it's awesome where do you do you live in where do you live Utah so I grew up in Brigham City so I know where Logan okay, is yeah yeah so I'm a northern Utah girl I'm in Salt Lake now but I'll make a trip down there it'll be worth it it's like we just need to you know I'll meet up somewhere because I'm definitely a woo-woo girl. <laughs> I'm all about that I, life. I really think you do need to come down, Rhea. Oh, I definitely do. Yeah. Like, as yeah. you're talking about, like, gut issues and constant, like, fight or flight. Like, oh, I am I am so there. Like, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's it's like a muscle memory. Like the more often we're in that fight or flight, like the quicker we are to, to react that way, but we don't have control over it. Right. Like we can't rewrite the story. We're just constantly reacting. And that's, I think what makes the difference is it actually reminds me a lot of natural childbirth, the way you explained it. Like, because that was the most amazing thing. Like I would give, birth today if I could because it was ab yeah love it like the high that you get from and that's it. the yes like it's like I did that like that's incredible um but the way you're talking about that I'm like I I get that I haven't done it but I get exactly how I have had I've actually had one woman tell me that it reminded her of childbirth like when she got out she was like that was exactly like because I was thinking about the day I had my kids, all that stuff, because it reminded me a ton of, about it. So I had C-section, so it's really hard for me to say. Yeah. Well, and it's about breath work too, though, right? Like breathing through it. And yeah, anyway, I'll stop talking now. But the getting out of fight or flight thing is, I, and like you said, Megan, when you got in for the first time, I had that same experience and I was warned, like, you're going to go into this fight or flight. And sure enough, I mean, you get down in that freezing ice and it is an immediate hyperventilation response. And that's why that's one of the beauties of having a guide too, though, right? Is having somebody there to just get you back to the present and ground you and get you into Mm -hmm. that breathing. Um, Not to put you on the spot, Megan, and if you don't have any off the top of your head, that's totally okay. But are there any specific books that you recommend on breath work? Um, I will. It's called, and I got my computer right here. I'll look it up. Um, okay. So I'm reading, okay. Breath, the new science of a lost art by James Nestor. Uh, there's another one too that I'm reading right now, but I can't think of who it's by. But that one's really interesting because he, the guy that wrote um, the book that I'm reading right now, he used to be in the Navy and they're like elite, uh, like diving team. And so that's actually when he really learned the importance of breath because they would have to do all this special breath work and stuff, you know, to be able to hold their breath for long periods of time. And um, so he really, uh, oh, here it is. Just breathe Dan Brule. Dan Brule is a big okay. name in the in the breathing breathing game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, that's great because when we publish this, we can 
we can put the names of those books. There yeah. Too. I mean, also like the, the premise too, and just, you can experiment with this on your own body. Like just at times throughout the day, think about your breath and just become aware of how you're breathing. Like don't try to change anything. Uh, just kind of be like, Oh, how am I breathing right now? Could notice if you're breathing shallow, if you're breathing just into your chest, if you're mouth breathing, right? Because truly we're supposed to be nasal breathing into our lower belly. So when we, uh, when you do a breathwork class and you want to simulate fight or flight, you have people breathe into your chest and you have them do mouth breaths and you have them do really shallow breaths, right? And that simulates, like that gets your body into a light state of fight or flight. If you think about if you're going, you know, uh, if you're breathing shallow, you're, you're activating that. Like, and you could right. be breathing shallow because something just happened at work that's stressful. And so now you don't notice that you're, you know, just kind of breathing really shallow and through your mouth and like into your chest. Um, I know that since I've been doing uh, like breath awareness that I notice that I hold my breath a lot, like a lot. Like I'll be Very driving and all of a sudden I'm like, yeah. I'm holding my breath. Like nothing's fucking going on. Yeah. Like, I don't know, you know, but I, it, maybe right. it's because I'm thinking about something specific and my body's reacting. So it's really a cool science experiment to do on yourself. And then to kind of like, to really bring yourself back as much as you can to that nasal breath, that deep belly breath. Um, and uh, also it's like the, uh, to reset your system. Like if you notice that you're, chest breathing and you're kind of like, maybe you feel a little activated, you can do uh, what's called a two time breath. And that's going to be um, inhale, let's say for three, and then exhale for six, or inhale for four, exhale for eight, whatever the double time is. Um, and that exhale on the exhale, you just kind of like focus on pushing your diaphragm down, exhale through the mouth, you know, make it nice, long and slow. And that actually like opens up space for your heart and your heart will start like slowing down, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, mm. I'm okay. I don't need to be freaking out. And like, now we can move our body into a different nervous system. So it's pretty cool to just try on yourself, honestly. Like you'll notice a difference. Yeah. I can open any can of worms for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I love it. I'm here for all of the cans of worms. <laughs> Hello to our listeners. This is Christina, your host for this episode. I just wanted to let you know that our recording got cut off a little bit short, which is why the ending sounded so abrupt there. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. And uh, please go and find Megan and give her a follow. You can find her on Instagram. Uh, her Instagram handle is IceCoachMeg. That's IceCoach, I-C-E-C-O-A-C-H underscore Meg, M-E-G, IceCoach underscore Meg. Go check her out. You can learn more about the ice baths that she was talking about and learn more about her. Um, it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us on Latter-day Survivors. You can find us on the web at latterdaysurvivors.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Latter-day Survivors. And we're on Twitter at LD Survivors. As survivors of trauma and abuse, we wanted to provide a platform for survivors to share their stories. Many survivors of all types of abuse may be able to recognize and relate to the patterns of behavior in the victims, abusers, families, and friends of the stories shared by other survivors on this podcast. 
often as we escape oppressive family, religious, and social constructs to a safer place where we come to see our abuse and all related issues, we are better able to process and begin to heal. We believe that when we share our stories with others, we can also help them to heal. It can take decades for survivors to find the courage to speak about these things. If it is so hard for adults, imagine how difficult it is for a child to speak up. We hope to normalize these discussions so that children can speak to adults earlier. As adults, we must listen and recognize the severity of the abuse, its potential consequences, and the need for action to stop the abuse as early as possible. Just knowing we are not alone, that there are other people who have felt and do feel the same or have endured similar experiences in life can remind us that we are not alone in this. It's not fair. You did your time. 